You're listening to The Skeptic's Guide to the Universe, your escape to reality. Hello and welcome to The Skeptic's Guide to the Universe. Today is Saturday, February 1st, 2020, and this is your host, Stephen Novella. <laughs> Joining me this week are Bob Novella. Hey, everybody. Kara <laughs> Santa Maria. Howdy. Jay Novella. Hey, guys. Evan Bernstein. Hello, Philadelphia. And our frequent guest and good friend, George Robb. You are earning those SGU frequent flyer miles. Seriously, man. Yeah, no, I get, I get, I I get the upgraded, like, the nuts and the warm nuts when we start the show and everything. It's the great. hot towel. The hot we'll towel, the, the hot warm towel. nuts. Oh it's God. great. It's delicious. So as you, as you might have guessed, uh, we are in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. We are here for, we're in the middle of our uh, extravaganza tour, Pittsburgh, Philadelphia, and then Brooklyn. And we, like, we, our plan is to always, you know, when, hey, we're all together. We might as well record a live show. So thank you guys all in the audience for joining us for this. We really, always really appreciate to see our, our listeners come out. Uh, we're going to start with a few news items, and then we're going to go into some some fun bits that we have specially specially planned for this show. Uh, first, Kara, you're going to get us updated on the coronavirus thing, right? There's a lot of we've been talking about it on the show. We're going to continue to give the numbers as they they move so quickly. I'll probably break in with some updated numbers on this episode because it's going to be a week before this comes out. There's and the of course the conspiracy theories and the misinformation is exploding as fast as the viruses. But get, give us the numbers. What's going on? Yeah, so I you know I flew here um, and you have the flu. No, I got my flu shot. Okay. So I'm second one? My, maybe, maybe second my one? maybe second flu shot of the year because I forgot <laughs> if I got it already. But I flew here, and I would say at LAX, there was also a layover. We, I flew straight to Pittsburgh, and there was a layover in Phoenix. And between LAX and Phoenix, I would say probably 10% of the people in the airport were wearing masks, probably. And they were all, like, young, healthy-looking people who I would love to survey them and be like, how many of you got your flu shot this year? Um, Is that warranted at this time, though, at the airport? A flu shot, yes. No, 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 at the airport, wearing a mask at the airport. Well, I don't think that L.A. or Phoenix even have confirmed cases, so So, I'm not sure. I mean, not warranted, Not warranted, but also, I mean, whatever. I'm not going to blame somebody. I I just feel like the, the misinformation there, like they were mostly wearing lawnmower masks. Mm. I don't really know if those are effective. And my friend who, yeah, my friend who lives, it's like the one that's big with the little pinch thing that just goes like this. It's kind of hard as opposed to a surgical mask, which like forms to your face. But those are probably, to be honest with you, those are better. The ones that pinch over the nose. So if you're in the hospital and you need respiratory precautions to go into a patient's room, yeah. that's the one you wear. Yeah, it's the pinchy one, but it's the one that goes around your ears, right? That's yeah. like this. Yeah, Whereas the lawnmower ones are hard. They're like rigid. Oh, yeah, those are, those are yeah. actually yet a different one. Yeah, so yeah. There's, the, yeah, there's the hard uh-huh. uh, ones that are round that mm-hmm. fit over your mouth. <laughs> then there's the surgical masks that pinch your nose. Which but is- I, I wonder if the actual respiratory capabilities of them are different, like the actual pore size. I don't know, whatever. Um, I will say that my friend who lives in Hong Kong was saying it's like mass hysteria there. It's like really out of control. But he was like, my favorite is seeing all the people wearing the masks in the street pulled down so that they can smoke their cigarettes. How you do? Um, he's like hundreds of people. But anyway, so we have some new information. And the coolest thing, um, there's a new article that came out today in Business Insider that talks about the fact that over the last three weeks, there have been, they combed the um, the research literature and found that there have been 50 
scientific studies that have been published. Now, most of them are not peer-reviewed, obviously, because the peer review process is slower than that, but a, few, a handful of them have been fast-tracked in peer review. Most of them are published on different archives. So what they did is they looked through all of this literature to see, like, what do we know now that we didn't know then? So there's a few highlights here. Um, number one is an update on the number. So as of today, which is Saturday, February 1st, um, there have been 259 people who have died, and the infection, which I have in here, is um, at least 12,000 people have been infected. 259 dead, 12,000 <coughs> infected. Um, that's obviously going to change because we see those numbers going up pretty quickly. And let's talk about the rate there. I want to jump ahead to that. Hey there, here's Steve breaking in with the latest numbers as promised. Uh, so this now is being recorded on February 8th. 2020. As of right now, the latest numbers are 34,958 confirmed cases. 6,106 of those are deemed to be in severe condition. There are 724 confirmed deaths. So as you can see, the numbers are increasing uh, geometrically. And obviously, the numbers are going to get much higher before this infection plays itself out. Okay, let's get back to the show. So there have been a couple different studies to try and identify what the rate of infection is. And the idea here, they call it the R-naught, which is like for every one infected person, how many other people are they likely going to infect? And they're seeing that it's between one and five based on the literature, which is pretty high. Yeah, yeah and just, to, just for background, if you're more than one, the infection is spreading. spreading. If you're less than one, it's dying out. Yeah. I remember with the Ebola, with the Ebola outbreaks, we're always waiting for that number to get below one, you know, because that's when it, we're on the far side of that. As long as it's over one, it's going to continue to spread. Yeah, and so looking at the average of that, there was a study that was published in The Lancet on Friday that said that they think it's about two to three people per infected person. So that means that the infected population would double every six and a half days. Double and double. Wow. So they are saying that it looks like it's more infectious than SARS, but it actually seems to be less deadly than MERS or SARS, the other two big big coronaviruses that have caused a lot of problems. And they there's a great chart that it's all as of January 31st that they pulled some of this data. Um, some, a day out of, out of yeah, day. right, a day out of date. No, some of it was actually pulled from um, the end of the other infection uh, cycles, obviously. And so comparing so far the novel coronavirus, the 2019 novel coronavirus, which is what they're kind of calling it, or the Wuhan coronavirus, the infection rate, or I'm sorry, the fatality rate, that's what they're comparing in this chart, appears to only be 2.2%. I shouldn't say only because that's still very high, but compared to other special pathogens, we're talking MERS 34%. Yeah, I, uh, I read 30 to 40%, yes. which is huge. SARS around nine, uh, around nine or 10%. Marburg virus, 80%. I mean, when we start to look at filoviruses, they're bad. Ebola, 40%. Hendra, 57%. Nipah virus, also very Ebola, high. Ebola, Zaire on there? Yeah, Ebola. I mean, they just have all the Ebolas together. Yeah, well, um, that, well, that's misleading because the, there's, there's, you know, there's flavors of it. In yeah. Zaire, it was nasty. I think that sure, was but still, in terms of the total number of cases, right, it's much right. low. Uh, not much lower than novel coronavirus so far, but it's still not that yeah. high in the grand scheme of things. So, you know, here's a fun fact: H1N1, right? Mm -hmm. H1N1. We, I just had them guess in the car how many cases worldwide. I would love to hear you guys. How many cases do you think worldwide? Well, put put in the context of exactly what H1N1 is. 
That was the bird swine flu. flu. No, not the bird flu. It's H5N1. Right. This H- is the swine flu. H5N1 is bird flu. H1N1 is swine flu. It's a little confusing, though, because I don't know if anybody's been watching Pandemic on Netflix, but apparently they call the bird flu the swine flu in India. Okay. So it gets a little confusing with the common names. But, yeah, H1N1. But, H- but for, our, for American colloquialism, that's what H1N1, um, the infection was 2009. So that's the more recent okay. one. Swine flu was, or I'm sorry, bird flu was 1997. It was a long time yeah. ago. The H5N1. Okay, so swine flu, H1N1, 2009. How many cases worldwide in total since then? 1,632,000. A lot. And 284,500 people died. Yeah. Yeah. So the infection, or the fatality rate there, 18%. It's very, very high. And just in sheer numbers, killed... I don't even, I can't do that math that quickly. Like 30 times more people than Ebola, like something just in, intense. Yet people don't think about the flu. They don't think about the fact that the flu causes so many deaths every year, that the flu is very infectious. And so I think it's not like don't be concerned about coronavirus, only be concerned. You know, I don't want to be black and white in this, but like let's compare these things. Let's mm-hmm. think about scale. Let's think about these rates. Um, I think the reason that coronavirus is so scary is because we don't know much about it yet. And it could just be a new endemic virus that we have to live with. Exactly. It could be something that we all figure out how to work around. It could be something that takes off. We are still in the early stages. It's new. I mean, the common cold is made up of like four coronaviruses. Yeah, this particular strain is new, not, right. not coronavirus as a genus. No, there are eight different corona. There are eight different listed or nine. Seventh. Seven. Seven. Fourth, common cold, and then SARS, MERS. Common right. cold and pneumonia are very common. SARS, and MERS. then SARS, MERS. But what's the difference between a coronavirus and an influenza? So they're different di- virus. They're different viral types. It's the influenza so, virus versus the coronavirus. I think they're both RNA viruses. Right, but they're, but they're both they're- repistor- uh, Respiratory. Respiratory infections. I mean, so what's that? Is it just the, yeah, the, flu is the, different uh, the type though, right? of virus that, that's causing it? Yeah. And so the, so the coronaviruses are all similar enough where they're just kind of like cousins? Yeah, it's a different species. Like if you could call a virus a species, which they actually do. I didn't realize that they do. is one species. Yeah. And the different and ones are strains. Right. Strains of that species okay. of virus. And there are four different flus. And there's influenza A, B, C, and D. I think there's single species of most of them. And then there's a bunch of subtypes of A. That's what we're used to seeing, like the H5N1, the H1N1. Right. Those are all influenza A's um, and their subtypes. But think about what the flu feels like. Okay, I don't know. You know? Oh, yeah, you've never had the never flu. Had the flu. That's like... You're lucky. I know. So the flu... I rolled a 20 for constitution. The flu (laughs) does have some respiratory symptoms, but it's also like deep muscle symptoms, right? Like a lot of people have muscle pain and malaise. Yeah, massive fatigue. I'd say malaise is probably the most like identifying feature of the flu. Whereas corona, these specific coronaviruses, MERS, um, SARS, and especially now this new coronavirus is a pneumonia virus. Yeah. Like, people have pneumonia, pneumonia. symptoms. Yeah. And so that's what you want to look out for. Like, if, if you have been to China recently or if you've been doing a lot of air travel and you get a pneumonia-type experience, seek treatment, yeah, right? That's like, and, and let them know. Yeah. Tell them there's a risk here. Um, and so, yeah, let's talk about, here's some interesting stuff that they pulled up that um, out of all of these studies that were like, ooh, a little bit eye-opening. They think that anywhere from 2 to 14 days is the incubation period for this virus. That's a long time. They also think that you can spread it if you're asymptomatic. So there's a study that was published in the uh, New England Journal of Medicine. Actually, it was a letter talking about a German case when a 33-year-old man met with a business partner from China. Three days later, 
so he got fever and chills and horribleness, and then three days later he felt better, so he went to work. When he went to work, he actually infected two of his colleagues.、Mm. So remember that some people don't show symptoms, and some people have mild symptoms. You know, so it's different for different folks, and it does seem to be a little bit more、um, virulent—not the right word—a little bit more deadly for.、Um, Older adults.、Apparently、yeah.、Right、yeah. And they, didn't they yeah. shut school down in Hong Kong for a month?、Oh, no, Hong Kong schools are closed until March right now. My friend who lives、uh, who lives there is a, a teacher, and he said the schools are all closed till March. He works for like a private school, and they're doing all of their classes online right now. And a lot of physicians in Hong Kong and public health experts are urging China to close the border、so、because a- obviously this is a huge risk. There are, based on some of these projections, that's another section in this article. They think that the most at-risk city outside of China is、um, Bangkok. Because that's where、mm-hmm. the, the most air travel occurs and the most trade. And then, if they were to rank it after that, it's Bangkok, Hong Kong, Taipei, Sydney, then New York, then London. And that's based on not cases so far, but based on air travel、yeah. and different kind of、um, epidemiological forecasts. And and now it seems to be that the consensus is bats. It looks like <laughs> it came from bats, not snakes. There's one study that's、Poor、still、bats. pushing for snakes. But there's no evidence so far that this is anything other than an avian or mammalian. They think it's a predominantly mammalian virus. So the, the bats do this deliberately? They're、yes. jerks.、Yeah. These bats—they're horrible. They're a common reservoir、Revenge. too. A、yeah. common reservoir. Unfortunately, coronavirus can live in non-humans, so we call that a reservoir, which means we'll never get rid of it because、yeah. it's just going to always be out there in the wild. In the wild, yeah. yeah. And then、um, finally, there's an interesting one study, not peer-reviewed yet, that suggests that it may not only be respiratory, but it might also pass through the digestive tract. So that's like a secondary transmission、Great. potentiality, something to be careful of. So the bigger picture here is that China now is serving <laughs> as like an incubator for generating these viruses. This is the you know there's been multiple the, the, the bird corona- flu, yeah. the third coronavirus, yeah, yeah, yeah. all like every ten years like another coronavirus is coming out of Japan and there's I mean out of China and they're saying you know it's not a big mystery why this is happening. Massive population, <coughs> lots of cons of. A concentrated population with intimate contact with lots of species of animals that are potential reservoirs, yeah, and they don't,、markets. and they don't have great hygiene. Well, you know, these wet markets are required.、Difficult. It's not、yeah. like they're not they're not regulations. So loose regulations, population, lots of animals. It's a recipe for just spitting out these kind of viruses. We、yeah. tend to buy our food packaged. We tend to buy our food where so there's going to be agriculture, and sometimes agriculture is really dense, right? Because we are like the kings of factory farming here, and so we do see viruses popping up in that area or or infections popping up in factory farms. So generally speaking, they're then processed and packaged before the consumer gets to them. Whereas in China, the wet market model is quite common. I visited、yeah. one when I was there, where you've got freshly slaughtered animals, you've got skins, and you've got、um, vegetables and live animals because there's a lot of like. Live reptiles, you know. I saw a lot of frogs and a lot of seafood、um, and poultry. Unfortunately, a lot of people want to buy live poultry and then slaughter themselves, and that's like a recipe for avian、mm-hmm. flu. It's yeah, just yeah. densely populated chickens and geese and things like that. I,、um, so, I like that、uh, the, the film、uh, Soderbergh's Contagion. Mm-hmm. Is on the top top ten iTunes rentals. It popped back、oh, up. Gosh, it's, yeah, a, well, it's eight years old or whatever, and it's in the top、wow. ten rentals. But rent- and I I know、film. I mentioned this、um, on the show last week, but I do actually highly recommend the new Netflix series.、Um, it's quite measured.、Pandemic. It's very pro-vax. Obviously, it's called Pandemic. It's um it it has 
it shows anti-vax sentiment in it and it like counteracts it very yeah, well. Yeah, um, and it really does help you again with that perspective because pandemic is mostly about flu. They t- touch on some Marburgs. They touch a little bit on some coronaviruses. Yeah. I mean, the timing's perfect like that it came out now. But it's mostly about flu and the fact that we really don't take the time to look at the numbers and realize because we've been living with flu for so long exactly how deadly it really is yeah. worldwide and how we can protect ourselves. I mean, it's kind of like alcohol abuse like we're so used to being around alcohol and everything i mean the, the world is legal, filled right? with alcoholics and yeah. people that have I know, drinking like, problems i always point out it's like it always like to put things into perspective like people are worried about this drug problem or that drug drug problem there's one recreational drug that causes like orders of magnitude more morbidity mortality than all other recreational drugs combined and that's alcohol yeah mm-hmm. you know just not even close yeah mm-hmm. not even close have any of you guys heard of gutter oil Oh, God, with the gutter oil. I don't have to get into the whole thing. I mean, this is really, this blew my mind. I, I, this, so gutter oil is reclaimed oil that what people From do the is they, they go and they, t- they lift up the septic lid off the street and they t- put a bucket in, they pull it up, and they're pulling out like this coagulated ball of grease that has everything in it because that's where uh, the street runoff goes into, septic systems, sewage, all this stuff from the city. And it's legit oil dumped down there from restaurants and all that stuff. In Asia, you're saying? In Asia, yeah. Okay. So they, 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 take, not they, they, take, they take the oil, they, they go outside of the city, and then they boil it, and it stinks to all hell. And this is like, this guys, this is disgusting shit that they're doing. <laughs> then they this huge, like, you know, the strainer, and they get out all the garbage and the solid material, and then they put it into big vats, and they bring it back into the city, and they sell it to the people that that's, that cook food on the street. And you, you virtually cannot avoid it if you buy food on the street. Legit restaurants don't do it, because they, they know, you know, but these people that are like, you know, that day could be the difference between them eating or not eating. They're going to buy gutter oil so they can make more money, and it's it's less expensive. And the woman who did this that they were following, she God. she earned so much money from it, she bought a house because it? it's a massive market. So they boil it. Do they boil it long enough and hot enough for it to actually be sterile? I have no idea. I would imagine Probably. yes, what? because there's sewage what? in there. So you would imagine it because way there's more no people would be sick, right? Like we would know about it. How the hell do they do they police this? How do they control for it? There's no control. No, no but no, I mean, but they so. might. They, the process of them just kind of getting the trash out of it and being able to to strain it, it, it didn't seem like there was a huge epidemic of people getting sick. Off then of again, the then again, it's state-run media in China, so it's actually very hard to know if the line in the newspaper or the radio is actually what's happening right. or yeah. just what the government wants to kind of portray as happening. And that's so, what I'm also worried yeah. about with some of these numbers. These are the reported numbers, but yeah, yeah, what yeah. are the real numbers? It does seem, though, at least the they scientific really community is, like, heavily involved. And we always say this on the show, but science is, like, one of the best sources of global diplomacy. Mm-hmm. Because when something like this happens, people really do communicate, and they come together across party lines, across any geopolitical conflicts. Like, they just want to prevent yeah. this epidemic. Yeah. So. Another good example of that is, like, scientists from different countries in, like, the space station. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. They work together. They don't care what's going on geopolitically. No. They oh. work together to do good science. Yeah, of course. They it's like it's along. like a love of anything if you think about it. Like, you know, think yeah. of all the people we met through skepticism and science fiction and other passions that we have. All right, Jay. Yes. We actually just talked about the Alpha Centauri system, which includes Proxima Centauri, yep. which is a red dwarf closest dark to the sun to our solar system, I should say. And but there's an update on Proxima B, the planet, one of the planets around Proxima. And it's B because it's the second one. Yeah. So the star <laughs> is always no. A. Yeah. The oh, it's the first planet. Okay. So the, the first planet's B. Yeah. Right. Proxima B, as mo- as most of you know, is is the first planet right next to the sun. Don't ever make a mistake. It's B means the first planet. A is the sun, Steve. 
Yeah. What's the right. star? The star, yeah, whatever. What is the name of our star? Stop it. Okay. <laughs> Stop it. Helios. <laughs> it's a red dwarf. So, all right, this, this is a cool situation that we have here. So they, they're calling it a super Earth. They're saying that because it's in the Goldilocks zone, I've, I've, we heard someone tell us not to say that. It's a habitable zone. It's the habitable zone. No, I love and for the word this habitable. I know. Habitable. 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 You can't say it slowly. Yeah. Habitable. Habitable. Yeah. habitable. So it's it, it's probably tidally locked, which means that the same side of the the planet is facing the sun like, at all times. Like, like the, the moon. moon to the like earth. the moon. Yeah. That's no moon. Um, <laughs> so they they what they decided to do was they they took the software that they're using that models um, global warming climate, the, all that incredible uh, bulk of data, and they're, they're using that mo- those uh, computer systems to run a model with all the information that they think would possibly um, affect this particular planet. So they're putting in, you know, like, where, like different places where the land masses could be and different weather conditions and diff- different temperature ranges and all these different variables that can give us some a view, a possible view into what the makeup of this planet is. Well, because, Jay, what's the classic problem with a, with a planet that's really close to a, to a small star that's tidally locked? Super I mean, hot. Super hot on one yeah. side, and super cold on the other. And like, how could anything live there except maybe on a band in between the hot and cold? So that's the classic like, uh, idea of how a planet like that would be. Which is just you know, for further background. So we talk about, like, obviously we're interested in what planets out there you know, in the galaxy uh, would potentially harbor life. Uh, there's a lot of red dwarfs. Yep. A lot of eighty percent of the stars out there are red dwarfs, right? Hmm. If red dwarfs could potentially in our galaxy, you know, yeah, but probably everywhere, right? Oh, it depends. Yeah. The different galaxies, different, different ages yeah, and stuff. Yeah, I get you. But in our galaxy, definitely eighty percent of the stars. That, if you look up at the sky, eighty percent of the stars you see are, are red dwarfs. Well, they're hard to see, but and, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, Sampling bias. Though. That's true. Um, <laughs> if they could contain planets with life, that would dramatically increase the number of planets potentially that could have life. So the, 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 the astronomers have gone back and forth. At first they said, no, you know, the planets would be, uh, would be too, too close. Too hot, too close. Too cold. Too, entirely locked. Too, too old well, to begin the training. Right. But they, well, but <laughs> Anybody? maybe uh, the damn. climate may, may, it may still work out. But then there's also the instability in the red dwarfs. They flare up and that would strip the atmosphere away from the planet, which is bad. But, like, but what? But maybe they could migrate in late enough after the stars calm down. So we don't know. The bottom line is you can make an argument either way. But so this is adding one piece to that puzzle. Yeah. So if we have the you know the scenario of a you know a planet that's the size that it could like a super Earth in this case, but that could be rocky and could you know have uh, an atmosphere and life. What would the climate be on that planet? Is it would it be would life be ruled out because it would be boiling on one side and freezing on the other, or or what? So what did they find? Wait, well, so, so, Jay, yeah. is it rocky? We don't know. Oh. Well, Rocky one, two, or three. Yeah, right. Yeah. Because Come on. I'm here. I'm here. For Christ's sake, Good. I let the first one go. But I said to myself, somebody else says Rocky. I'm going for it. Hey, yo. Hey, yo. Well, Jay, come on, George, back me up, man. That's all you. That's all, right. all you. That's Jay, because it's about, I think it's 1.3 solar masses. Uh, uh, Earth masses, yeah. 1.3. Yeah. Because of that, it's probably rocky. It's probably, probably. probably yeah. not gas. Yeah, not gases. Yeah, okay. but we're not so, look, sure. we don't know, but, but given the computer models, they, they put it in, and they're, they're looking at, like, okay, what, what are the computers saying? Like, what could possibly be here? And I don't honestly know what the spectrum is, but one of the things that they were saying is, well, from what we're seeing, they think that clouds would likely be building up on the side of the planet that's facing the, the sun. The star. This, I call them suns. <laughs> Okay. Is, we'll that, let it go. is that really not cool? 
it's, you know, it's, it's more accurate when referring to another star as a star. But aren't they all suns? Yeah. Okay. Our sun is a star, and all stars are suns. Yes. But our, the name of our star is, is sun. the sun. Right. Yeah. Right. Soul, if you it's prefer. Like soul. 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 Yeah. Okay. The planet, <laughs> the side of the planet that's facing the star, they think would, would have a, a big buildup of cloud cover, which would be great because, that, as you know, that would insulate it or keep, you know, reflect a lot of the energy back to the star, which is good. And you can only but, have clouds in an atmosphere, right? Yeah. This assumes oh, an atmosphere. Oh, yeah. Assuming Assuming it absolutely atmosphere. has to have yeah. an atmosphere. Yeah. So then they were saying, you know, with that in play, that the air and water would actually move a lot of the hot and cold. Now, look at our ocean, right? You know, you see how we have the dipoles and we have like the, the ocean is, is um, incredibly connected to it. It's a part of our weather system. Yeah. So you have weather systems on a planet this, this size with certain parameters that would allow for the atmosphere and the, the ocean to move a lot of the heat and cold around. So it would kind of, you know, I'm not saying it would normalize it because on the other side of the planet, it's basically like one big <laughs> South Pole, North Pole. It's going to yeah, be yeah, Arctic. Probably. But there would still be a lot of movement of the of the water and air enough that it would level things off to a certain degree. So you know, and I do I do feel like there's a little bit of wishful thinking here. But well, the thing is, what they, it's not the wishful thinking. They just they were not saying what is the atmosphere like, yeah. what's the climate like what on is, the planet. What it could be they like. said if we put put in a range of plausible parameters, what percentage of those parameters lead to a climate that is habitable for yes. life? And it was actually a lot broader range than they. When in assuming it's not a narrow range, like you just have to have the right exact amount of water and atmosphere, or whatever. It's like yeah, in most situations, the convection of heat in the water and the atmosphere actually spreads the heat out, you know, war- cools the hot side and warms the cold side. Most under most scenarios, you're going to have a pretty habitable climate. Now, wouldn't it be amazing if we if we could if we could send a ship there fast enough to get a better glimpse of what the it doesn't have to go all the way, just close enough to get a lot more data. At so, that point, wait, wait, let me finish my point. It's all the way there. But let me yeah. finish my point yeah. because this is really cool. That would give us a better idea if our computer models work well. Well, don't, sure. don't forget, Jay, the James Webb Telescope and other t- yeah. telescopes coming online this decade will be able to directly image that planet. Yeah, really? that's going to be. Wait amazing. a second. When we start really? seeing that. It's no, it so can't. Far. It can't. No, it can't because that planet is too close to the to the yeah. star, to the sun, to the star. So Proxima C, that's the one we can yeah. image. Yeah. Now yeah. that's that's the second that's, planet. That's farther yeah. away. <laughs> 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 yes. You're right. We can't image that one. Crap. But we can well, image we could the get star itself. Huh? We could get more information. Yeah, but. Like all they, can, Bob, all they have to do is put their thumb up and block the sun. No, no, Jay, that, that's actually what they do. They, they block. You see how I invent science the on the fly? That's right. <laughs> Proxima B is too close to do that method. But can't you still like do indirect methods? Well, yeah, you could look at the light from the star shining through any potential atmosphere yeah. and look at the spectral absorption. Right. We could say it has an atmosphere that has oxygen in it. That would be interesting. Or it has no atmosphere. Or it has, or it doesn't appear to have any atmosphere. Wait, then why can't you do that now? Yeah, we yeah. Can do that. yeah and the, well, other, the thing is, it's close. We could theoretically yeah. do it now, you know, but the, not, the better telescope is something that be able someday to do humanity it. might visit. I would, I would love to be able to check our our algorithms to yeah. see how accurate they are. Yeah, I know. I mean, that's the thing. You know, we're living in an age of we're detecting planets indirectly and you know, we're trying to infer their properties and everything, but we're never going to really know, yeah. like really be able to see these planets and, and know what they're like. Is, is this is the four, closest, four this four is the closest four, four exoplanet to Earth. Yeah, this okay. is the closest exoplanet to Earth. It's 4.2 light years. Yeah. 4.2 light years. Yeah. 
that, is, that doesn't seem that far away. Yeah, it's it's not take, that it would far take away. us tens of thousands of years to get there. Far. By the current, the current technology. technology. Yeah, but you send a light sail with the laser light? propulsion, 20% I know, speed. I know, I know, I know but yeah, that's you never know. Yeah, you in 50 years, we might slowing have that thing down much faster. Yes. But we could send a probe there in 20 years. In 20 years. Yeah, that's, and how long would it take to get there, though? I mean, we need something. No, 20 years. 20 years using, sail, using light sail and laser technology. speeds, but the probe is like a nanoprobe. It's like... It did, and it goes yeah. right by. It's not going to be slowing down because it's going to. Yeah, that's the problem. But we could image it. We could, you know, image it, and within potentially within you yeah, know, but the picture would be pretty blurry, wouldn't it? You know, huh? moving that fast. I tell you what, if we could send a probe to hit that planet, yeah. 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 that is yeah. such a I think the camera science. technology would be good. Blows my mind. Wait, are the probes actually that tiny, Bob? Mm-hmm. They're that. They're. It would have to be. These are all probes that I mean I don't think they've really built a, no. a probe to do that yet. But I mean the but, the idea of it. Yeah, yes. they're predicting that the probe would would it be an, an a, a camera of some kind or this is going to be emitting some kind of That yeah. would be the idea. Well, some imaging, there'd be some limited imaging. You just need uh, a camera like a, a and a transmitter. Like Graham, you have to have like, Wi-Fi. You know, yeah. Graham, you know, Graham-sized, very very super crazy light, but yeah. there's some information we could potentially get back. Okay. Wow. That's the idea anyway. Tiny. Okay. We're going to be bouncing back between sort of medical and astronomical items today. So I'm just going to give a quick one. Uh, I say quick. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it never turns out to be that way. Uh, never. Uh, but there's a, this is an interesting milestone. Uh, that for the first time, a company brought a drug to clinical trials, all the way to a clinical trial, that was developed using artificial intelligence. So mm-hmm. that, that in and of itself is nothing new. There, there's over 160 startup companies that are using artificial intelligence in drug development. But let me tell you what phase of drug development we're talking about. Uh, in order to bring a drug to the point where you're, you're ready to test it on people, you have to either get that, that drug, that chemical, from nature, right? It needs to be something that we find out there in nature and that we've shown it to have you know, properties that are potentially useful. Maybe it's already in sort of traditional use. And that actually gives us a little bit of a head start you know, if, if that's the case. Uh, that field, by the way, is called pharmacognosy, and it's basically just trying to pick the low-hanging fruit. What's mm-hmm. what's out there that we can get access to that's growing on trees or whatever that Soil maybe bacteria. even yeah maybe people are already using. But all but uh, we've actually picked a lot of that low-hanging fruit. Not that it's all gone, but you know we've we've already gone through that. In fact, you know pharmaceutical development starting to slow down, like in terms of like the number of new drugs being brought to market, uh, partly because of that. You know the, the um, we do the easy stuff, so by definition, as we keep going, it gets harder and harder and harder and harder. Well, what uh, else could be slowing that down? Well, we're also clear-cutting the Amazon, yeah. which is like <laughs> where a lot of this helps. But, but a lot of people are using computational chemistry, Yeah, right? so, that, so if you're not finding it in nature, you're just basically making a designer drug, right? You're, 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 you're synthesizing it, but you're also designing the drug just de novo based upon first principles of chemistry. You know, I yeah, want to put an OH group here, an alkaloid group there, whatever, a benzene And you've got the here. binding site, so you want to make something that fits in that binding yeah, if, so if you have a target, yeah. so the, having a new drug target is like the whole game. Like when we find a new drug target, meaning a, something in the body, this is just basic science. Like, oh, we figured out that there's this receptor on neurons in this part of the brain that are involved in this. Hey, maybe if we block that receptor, we could treat obsessive compulsive disorder, which is what this drug is. Or you find a receptor on a cancer, a cancer cell that no other, that healthy cells don't have, then right. you could just nail that. Yeah. Or whatever. So and there's some you, basic science safer, finding right. that Side has a potential drug target, right? Right. Then you have to develop a drug to bind to that target. And so you can either screen existing drugs, that's one approach, or you could design a new drug. How do you design a new drug? It's largely done computationally, right? We do it in computers. Software for it, yeah. yeah. 
How, how good is that? How, how well does that work? Well, it works, but it, it takes works, years. It works, but you have to do thousands of iterations, yeah. usually. Um, so this is just taking it to the next step, not just using computation, but using artificial intelligence, like the, the latest in deep learning kind <laughs> so of So they're giving, like, artificial intelligence drugs and seeing how looped out they get? <laughs> <laughs> so what they're, they're doing is they're saying, here's the, the receptor, the target, build me a molecule that binds to that, and that also doesn't kill people. Yeah, try to make it non-toxic. Yeah, so yeah. There's a, the drugs have to have, like a lot of things we talk about, like batteries or whatever, they have to have a suite of properties all at the same time, and any one of them could be a deal killer, right? Mm -hmm. So it has to get into the body, have a certain half-life, have you know not be toxic to the liver or the kidney or the yeah, or the blood or whatever. Yeah, meta yeah metabolize. Yeah, we like to it. see yeah. that it you know it does. It's not acid. You know, it doesn't burn your tissue. <laughs> this this drug would work great, but it'll melt your skin. Exactly. Well, that happens That's a lot. Like there's oh, this Some this would ulcers. be perfect. I've designed this thing and it would be perfect, but it's also going to clog up. Yeah, like it's got all these off off target binding sites that are really. But dangerous. there are drugs that are literally acidic. Yeah, and then you know there's obviously a degree of acidity, but there are drugs that you can't give them intravenously because. They're too acidic. They'll yeah. burn, you know? Yeah, yeah they'll change uh, your, yeah, yeah, your blood yeah. chemistry. Or you, it doesn't get absorbed, so you can't give it through the stomach, or whatever. So they're, they're trying to design drugs with the properties that they want to be useful clinically. And so that re involves, as one of the researchers here said, it involves billions of decisions about that chemical. Oh, my God. And so, that, so they're saying, all right, AI, you do it. You just figure out what the all the parameters are given all the thousands of drugs that we already have and the thousands of chemicals. You figure out ones that will have the properties we want and will have the, the specificity that we want. Mm -hmm. And so that's what they did. And what they said was that this took what is typically about a five-year drug development process, again, just coming up with the chemical that you then put into clinical trials, down to one year. Nice. Yeah. Bob, what does this remind you of? Bob, what does what Steve just said remind you of? It's kind of like the precursor to a singularity, right? We, we, oh yeah, automating scientific research. Yeah, like sure. th this totally smacks of that. Like, imagine if oh, you got the AI. Now, yeah, imagine AI if now I, uh, now I don't know all the details. I don't know how much the, the humans have to interact as they go over that year to yeah. do stuff. But imagine if they got the the computer models so tweaked, like they just chug and they go yeah. and then they're done and they're like, okay, cool, we got a result, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And imagine it, instead of it taking a year, it took a month. And then imagine if it took a day. Imagine yeah. if a computer processing gets It'll so fast. Yeah. Yeah, but yeah. that's not the singularity. Well, <laughs> that's that's. I know. Drugs. Come on, that's a straw man. No, but that's excuse me, drugs. excuse like, me. I, that, I said one little tiny thing, <laughs> and you turned it into me saying. I'm just saying it reminds me of. You just the said Bob was this remind you of the singularity. Remind you of, <laughs> but it's related to singularity. It is. It's one it's aspect of it. Because as the AI gets more intelligent and does a better and better job, then you get closer and closer to what could be the singularity. Because AI is getting more intelligent, and in, and yeah. in, in my mind, the singularity is all about an intelligence explosion. Kara, are you anti singularity? Yeah, I don't. Yeah, totally. But what I I'm seeing here is a like the runaway kind of version of this yeah. would be a an at home or you know a elite clinic where you would ultimately be able to take a blood sample, a stool sample, or whatever, yeah. and design a drug on the spot yeah. to treat whatever you're like, dealing so with. Like so, to the individual. That sounds horrible. To the individual. To the, to, yeah, to yeah. The individual. it sounds amazing. Yeah. But it sounds yes. nothing like the singular. I, yeah, I agree with yeah. you. It just sounds like really advanced, really yeah. sophisticated yeah, no, imagine, designer imagine drugs. Designing a vaccine for the new coronavirus in an hour. Immediately. Uh, yeah, exactly. Months. You, you know, sample, yeah. you know, 500 people. Yeah, yeah. You, yeah. Everybody downloads it to their to the 3D printer at but home. That's not, like you got that's infeasible. But the other thing, the other aspect of this to keep in mind, though, is that the pharmaceutical companies are looking to increase their technology and the efficiency and the speed of their drug development yeah. just, just to keep even. You yeah. know what I mean? Just to because maintain they, the, 
the problems are getting harder and harder. So even as the research technology advances, sometimes it's advancing just to stay in place. Yeah. And so for each research challenge, you have to know, you know, how quickly is the challenge getting, you know, more yeah. significant and how quickly is the technology getting more significant? And it's different for everything. Sometimes progress slows down. Sometimes it speeds up. Sometimes we hit roadblocks that we just can't get past until something changes the game. And here, you know, the pharmaceutical companies are struggling just to keep right. up. You know? but Steve, you said that this is very generalized. They, they can do this to search for any, any type of drug yeah. for like yeah. any type of scenario. Yeah, it's scenario. not specific to this one. Right. Question. So, I mean, but some drugs aren't going to be computationally feasible either. I don't think you can yeah, would, generalize yeah, it to surprised. everything. So the AI program that they're using, that process, is not specific to this one problem. It's no. generalizable to I, need to, to I need a target. But it, you can't change the laws of physics and chemistry, right? Mm-hmm. Not yet. You can't make a, you can't make a drug that, to do something that right. drugs can't do. Yeah. And the other thing we can't, that, that pharmaceutical research can't change is biology. So yeah. uh, that is the inherent limit of pharmacology as an approach to medicine. Specifically, like we have a target, like we have a receptor, yeah. but we evolved, right? We have, it's a messy process. And not only did we evolve as a whole organism, all of the parts of us evolved. Those receptors evolved from other receptors and they're related to other, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. There's a branching, nestled branching relationship among receptors as well uh, and of the genes that code for them. And so the receptor that I'm interested in is going to be very similar to receptors yeah. that I'm not interested mm-hmm. in. But the cool thing about, And so that's where the side effects come in. But the cool thing about computational chemistry is you can increase affinity in a way that you probably might yeah, not have been able and, to yeah, do but before. That, but there's an inherent limit to that. Totally. What does that, inherent inherent that mean exactly? It means that you're making it so that it fits that much better into the receptor. Yeah. But you're right. There is an inherent limit. There's always going to be, even if you have the perfect key, it's still going to fit in multiple locks. Right. Steve. And that same receptor could be fun- serving multiple functions. Exactly. In, in a locations. totally different part Steve, of your body. Steve, do we have receptors that we evolved that we don't use anymore? Like, they're just there and we don't use them People think so. Like, yeah, PCP, probably. we haven't found an endogenous version of PCP. Yeah. So you take PCP, it binds to stuff and has an effect, but we haven't found an endogenous, like a, a chemical that our bodies make yeah. that yeah. binds to those same I receptors. wonder how much of that we have, just legacies, like, you know, yeah. access points. Vestigial yeah. receptors. Yeah. Yeah. Here's the just cool waiting thing to I'm be activated. thinking. Right now we're talking about <laughs> using AI to develop the drug itself. Yeah. What happens when we can use AI and computational models to test the drugs? So I, I agree. But you know what I mean? I think right now what, we still have to do clinical trials. I think that what will That's happen is grail, yeah. we'll, we'll do... We'll do a round of virtual clinical trials yeah, that's so cool. to further narrow that is the... Because awesome. we'll get all the body parameters yeah, so, like logged in a huge database. Because like the yeah. worst case scenario is that you, you get to your phase three clinical trial, which is the big one, right? That's like where you, you're the, fi- the final one to get FDA approval. And then like this 1% liver failure crops up. You're like, shit, we just lost $100 million. Yeah, that's, Steve, that is not the worst case. The worst case scenario is if these meds turn people into evil mutants. Yeah, well, but that, that's the holy grail. <laughs> Remember that Star Trek episode, the one Ashley Judd was in? It? They, they had a device, a video game that you put these glasses on. You played a video game and, and you got addicted to it and it messed up with your mind. So they, they were like, what is this thing? And they put it on the computer, and it actually had a virtual brain that interacted with that device. And they Ooh, said, recursive. oh, boy, look what this thing does. Wow, that's not good right there. It's essentially a virtual brain yeah. that they could test of. That's the holy grail. That's yeah. something that's yeah. going to take a while to get there. For a long time, we'll still have to ultimately then try right. in actual biological organisms. But Absolutely. again, it's all about screening. It's about maximizing the probability that it will do what we want it to do and not do what we don't want it to do. We might be able do. to eventually just skip animal trials altogether. Yeah. You know, right? just like use computer. Computational right. animal trials instead well, of animal well, as soon as trials. it gets better than animal exactly. trials, because animals are not people. Exactly. They're it's just, already an approximation. They're in, they're in approximation. <laughs> if, our, if our virtual approximation 
approximations get better than the animal approximations, then it'll be obvious. Wouldn't that be amazing if some, you know, it's going to happen eventually, but someday we'll just be like, yep, we don't have to, we don't, no animals have to suffer anymore for anything. Well, we try to reduce their suffering. Eventually they could test, they'll be able to test it on your Specific biopsy. Exactly. Everybody's different, right? You can right? take a little biopsy and they can test it. Because a generic cells, human, yeah. like, oh yeah, it passes muster, but then you put it on you, and it's like, oh damn, yep. didn't, you know? Because eventually, it's going to be targeted specifically for your biology yeah. anyway. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. That's the right cool there. thing. You were right, Steve. This is not going to be a short news yeah, item. I know. But we're, we're, it's fascinating. We're All right, Bob. Back to astronomy. Tell me about oh. frame dragging. What's frame dragging? Okay. So yes, yeah, this is really cool. Astronomers have found um, the best example of a spinning star. Uh, dragging space around it. This was in the journal Science uh, this week. So this is frame dragging. So this is uh, developed by uh, Einstein's general relativity. He predicted this. And so what's happening is that a spinning mass actually drags space along with it. So space-time. Space-time. Space yeah. What did I say? Space. space. Well, of course I meant space-time. Yeah, so, so imagine, <laughs> but so imagine you've, got a, you've got a blanket on the floor and your feet are on it and you twist your feet. The way that, uh. car, the way that rug will bunch and turn around you, that's basically what a spinning or rotating mass does to space-time. So, for example... This is, yes, Bob, is it also yeah. referred to as spice-time? No. Spice. Only, spice. only in New Zealand. Oh, <laughs> Outer spice. spice Outer spice. Spice Tim. Do I have to tell the story no. now? That story now? Okay. They can. Like, so, no. all right. So, our STU <laughs> coin. So, spin this coin. So, this spinning mass is actually frame dragging. It's taking a little bit of space time around with it, but uh -huh. cannot detect it. It's too tiny. Way, way too tiny. You would need something probably orders of magnitude more sensitive than LIGO uh -huh. to actually detect that. So, how do you actually verify that? Is that because verify it's so this? small? Yeah, that so we can't small. Detect the it? mass is so tiny. The spinning mass is so tiny. Because of the, the size of the coin. The mass of the coin. Okay. Right. Right. That, so you got to you got to look at something gigantic, and then maybe our instrumentation right. can yeah. see and it. Right. And I, I like think Einstein himself thought that we'd, we'd never be able to test this. I mean, a lot of his predictions, he said, "God, oh, we'll never be able to test this." But this but is what I. But he didn't foresee something like LIGO. No, no, yeah, my God, I mean, no, God, no. So, so how do you test it? So we tested. I think it was in 2011. We had like a 750 million dollar satellite, Gravity Probe B, I think, in orbit around the Earth, and it detected. The gyroscope in that probe detected frame dragging because of the spinning Earth. Oh my God. But the mass of the Earth is it's huge, right? But it's it's so relatively tiny that it would take what was it a hundred a hundred thousand years to detect for one degree of change to be made to the gyroscope because of the frame dragging. So it's super tiny, mm -hmm. and it's really really hard to say. Yep, this is exactly what happened. So you, what what do you need? You need something bigger. You need something with a lot more mass spinning a lot faster than the Earth. You need something like ultra-relativistic. And it's actually called rel relativistic frame dragging. And they found it in a star system. Um, they say it's 10 to 25,000 light years away. What kind of error bars is that? 10 to 25,000? <laughs> yeah, like, well, <laughs> I mean, 10,000 to 25,000, which is still huge. Yeah, 10,000 to 25,000. What did I say? You said 10 to 25,000. <laughs> Zero to 25,000. No, we know what you meant. Yeah, I know what you meant. <laughs> 10K to 25K. Thousand, you know, light, thousand light years away. Bigger. So this is uh, the star system PST <laughs> J11416565. I hate these boring names. Why can't they just name so something really cool? I know. Yeah. I know, but just You're like frame. the only person using Frame dragging that. A. Give it a cool name or something. All right. So this is a fascinating star system. They've been looking at this for 20 years, and they finally got a, their observations really kind of dialed in. So this is a system. Imagine um, it's a, a white dwarf, which is about the size of the Earth, and 300 thousand, let me make sure my numbers are, 300,000 times the, the density of Earth. Mm -hmm. So this is huge. This is a, a massive density, a dead core of a sun-like star. And in orbit around that is a pulsar. Now, they're kind of co-orbiting, but, yeah, yeah. but it's really, it's, if you really looked at it, it's kind of more orbiting around the, the white dwarf. So a white dwarf already died. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, so the white dwarf is a core of a sun-like star. So it, it wasn't big enough to have become a black hole. It wasn't big enough, yeah, it wasn't big enough to overcome degeneracy pressures to become a pulsar and then, and, and definitely not a black mm-hmm. hole, right? Black hole. So that's okay. what, that's what our sun is gonna <laughs> turn into. Mo- many stars, mo- a lot of, are, this so is going to happen to. No, no, to, yeah, to not yeah, massive enough. Now the next star though, the pulsar, that was close, that was closer to being a black hole, but not quite enough. So that collapsed into a pulsar. So that's about 20 kilometers uh, wide, about the size of a city. Uh, but a hundred billion times the, the, de- the density of the of the Earth. And these would have Cra- been a binary system. It is. Point? It's a binary no, system. No, but I mean, when they were living stars. Yes. Living, you know what I mean. Right. Yes. So, Bob, yeah. I got to ask a, a basic question about this that I'm not quite getting. So, the frame dragging is distorting space time, right. just like gravity. Right. Mass. Mass. We know mass distorts. Right. Yeah. Ma- mass changes the, the shape of space so time. So momentum And space time shows mass how to move. So it's kind of like this relationship between but, the but two. But then you're saying that momentum, I guess, is is, the, the, is distorting space time as well. Right. The spinning mass bunches it up because there's so much energy in such a small place that it's actually bunching up. It's bunching up the space time around it. So as if like space time was. It's malleable. I mean, mass. I mean, we know that mass changes. Like, like you look at the gravity well of the of the Earth. It's changing space time because of that mass. So we know that it, you could change space time with mass, right? So this is a, this is what a rotating mass does. So is the frame drag from them rotating around each other, or is it the pulsar itself that's got the stronger frame drag? Neither. It's the uh, white dwarf. The white dwarf is spinning so fast, and it's such a it's so dense and spinning so fast that it's it's. The frame dragging is intense, and it's because the pulsar is going around no. it that it's spinning it's, faster. No, no, because as it collapsed, it spun faster. Oh. But but there's more detail to that because okay. now imagine at some point in the past you had you had a white dwarf, and then you had a, a big star, a really big yeah. star. That star was going to become this is the progenitor star. This was going to become the pulsar, but it lost something like twenty thousand Earth masses of like gas, and that fell onto the, wh- the white dwarf, which caused it to spin faster and faster and Ooh, faster, yeah. right? Like a, like a uh, skater bringing their arms in and spinning faster but and faster. But still not Conservation to get of, enough uh, mass momentum. to fall No, not, not enough mass okay. to turn into a pulsar, but it spun much faster. So that's the, they think that's the key to the system because you have a white dwarf spinning faster and faster and faster. So fast, in fact, that it's like one day is like two minutes. Now, this is the size of the Earth. We have 24 hours to rotate. This does it in two minutes. So this is like an amazing system. Yeah, right? So, (laughs) headache. So, all right, now, so imagine um, Kara's head is a white dwarf. So here's a pulsar. I can't turn my head around. Your hand is the pulsar, but you got to do it really fast. Okay, so so the pulsar is not far away. It's only like the the, the width of a, the sun, which is what eight hundred thousand miles, something like that. Tiny. It's no, tiny. No, no. So they're orbiting around each other in f- five days. So the pulsar goes around it. It's it's years, five mm-hmm. days, if you will. Um, but my year is two minutes. Okay, your day is right. two minutes. So or now they yeah, looked right, at this day. system and they're like, something's going on here because they're intercepting the radio signals from the pulsar. Right, the pulsar emits. Uh, from its magnetic poles, it's, it's emitting radio waves. So they detect these things for 20 years. They're like, there's something crazy going on with this system because if you look at the orbital plane around Kara's head, that, that orbital plane is, sh- is slowly shifting over time. It's changing. And they looked at that and they looked at, they looked at general rel- relativity and like, this doesn't make any sense. The only way it makes sense is if this white dwarf was frame dragging the entire orbit of the pulsar. And that, and that's when they realized, oh, now general relativity makes sense. This is a massive frame dragging system. So the carpet, it's like when your vacuum sucks up the carpet. Like the, the carpet is so disturbed that it's like all the way around the edges that it's coming right. in. Right. It's, it, the frame dragging is just me- messing up with, the, with yeah. the velocity and the orientation of the entire binary system. Bob, so, so would that ever, would we ever have to 
calculate that if we were sending a probe? Is that, or is it too subtle? It's, if we were sending a probe to that system, that over time, if we wanted to enter, have something, be, have a stable orbit, we'd probably have to think about, think about that. Yeah. But for a brief period of time, not so. But because this is such a, a amped up system in, with gravity and the, and the rotation um, and the distances, that it, things are happening much, much faster there. And that's why, and still, still it took 20 years before, for them to really say, yes, we're confident to publish this. So it took a while. This is another win for Einstein. Oh, shoot, yeah. This guy just doesn't lose, does he? In the future, I was thinking, all right, what's, what can we get from this in the, in the future? And one thing, we could use these techniques to learn more about binary pulsars and to learn more about pulsars themselves, neutron stars. I mean, essentially, you've got what happens when a, when a supermassive star collapses and it's not heavy enough to turn into a black hole. You have a neutron star, and some of them will, will rotate and become pulsars shooting out the, uh, the radio waves. But this is degenerate matter. This is like the most fascinating substance in the universe, even more so. Somebody asked me in Australia, Bob, what would you rather look at up close, a black hole or a neutron star? And it actually, I was thinking, like, it, it has to be a neutron star because a black hole, I mean, you got the event horizon, you got maybe the accretion disk, You've got intense gravity, but a neutron star has got so much, so many more things that we could learn from this degenerate matter. Because essentially, imagine taking an atom, a whole bunch of atoms, and you're squishing down it, you're squishing it down so much that the proton and electron merge to become another neutron. So it's basically one big neutron. Um, Wait, you already know I, what that is, then. No, but I know. Well, but what's inside a black hole, Bob? If I knew that, would I be? I would so be saying, saying, don't here. you want to go see that? <laughs> yeah, but as soon as you find out, you're you're turned into spaghetti. Oh, I assume that the thought experiment allowed you to still live. No, you're still within the, the, the laws. Bob, of you said that. <laughs> so let me let me finish this thought. So yeah, but it, just because it's it's one big one ball of neutrons, it's still much more complicated. That there could be like quark matter in there. There's a weird things happening with the uh, the surface. I mean, there's so much to learn. So if, if this technique could teach us a lot about neutron degenerate matter and neutron stars, that would be a huge win too. Well, everyone, we're going to take a quick break from our show to talk about our sponsor this week, The Great Courses Plus. Steve, The Great Courses Plus is an amazing source of information. If you want to learn about something specific, The Great Courses Plus probably has a course for you. This is a special streaming service that you can unlock and go in and fill your mind full of awesome info. So let me tell you, you can learn from some of the brightest minds that are alive today. The courses that you can listen to on The Great Courses Plus, together they've collected over 40,000 five-star reviews. Yeah, this week we're recommending a course called Fighting Misinformation, right? This is all about digital media literacy. Very, very important. This is by a collection of different professors, and you can learn about things like the evolution of the media and misinformation, misinformation in the brain, uh, countering fakes and stereotypes in the media, journalistic verification skills, and then technology, misinformation in the future, and other lectures as well. Sounds extremely fascinating. The Great Courses Plus is offering the best deal that they've ever had right now. You can get a free trial plus half off your first three-month plan. That's just $10 a month for unlimited access. To take advantage of this offer, you must sign up. Now you can go to thegreatcoursesplus.com slash skeptics. That's thegreatcoursesplus.com slash skeptics. All right, guys, let's get back to the show. Evan, you're going to finish up the news part of the show by telling us about screaming therapy. Screaming therapy, yeah. So enough of this science. Let's have some fun, right? <laughs> there was a uh, meeting, uh, not last week, but the week prior in Dav Davos, uh, Switzerland, in a uh, World Economic Forum every year this happens. 
a bunch of uh, very you know powerful elite and wealthy individuals and representatives of corporations get together and they talk about how to make the planet a better wonderful place using their re their vast resources mm -hmm. that's generally what it boils down to now but i was interested because there was a particular person there uh, jay who is julianne huff i have no idea exactly i nor do i steve <laughs> who's julianne huff right bob who's julianne huff she run the huff po george anyone here know julianne huff Dancing with the Stars, exactly. And that's exactly why we don't know up here oh. who she is. Because why, why she, she was there. Why is she there? I don't know. I don't know why, why is she there. Who knows? Well, well, who, who is she? What does she, she do? Uh, she's, uh, she was uh, made famous, apparently, by being a dancer on Dancing with the Stars. She's apparently an actress, mm -hmm. among other many talents. I have some nods here in the back and confirming that that is, in fact, true. I really have no idea. Well, she, went, she underwent something while at Davos called energy, well, energy treatment and screen therapy. Oh, cool. What the heck is that? Well, um, you know, and there's video online of this, and it made the rounds on social media. Perhaps some of you have seen it. It did go viral, in which essentially she was uh, there on a table, and a chiropractor um, did some sort of manipulation on her and allowed her to release all this tension and other things oh that were inside of her. Oh, my God, I saw that video. That's where she was lying on her stomach. She's lying on her stomach, and she's basically, oh. you know, screaming. Do I have any audio of this? That sounded so Maybe. fake to me. Uh, that, okay, I didn't know that was her. Yeah. So that, that was sounded... that scream you heard this morning, too. I was playing that video. Oh, yes. Okay, I was wondering <laughs> what was going listening on. to. That, that's a sample, basically, of what, of what she was Sounds like a breakthrough. That's a breakthrough. You know, you know what that is? That sounds like that's mesmerism. Yeah, yeah right. that's that's pretty much what. what but that's that is. that's also the exact noise you make when you no longer have a career. Uh, <laughs> oh, now who was doing this? No, so she participated in this demonstration led by Dr. John Amaral, A M A R A L. Well, he's a chiropractor. Yeah. Uh, you know, 25 years of working with thousands of people, blah blah, including A-list celebrities, entrepreneurs, athletes, influencers, thought leaders, and other gullible people with a lot of money. Apparently. <laughs> he most recently appeared in the Goop Lab Netflix series. Oh, well that's that's good for his album. resume. Yeah, okay. Rabble, so, rabble, yeah. rabble, rabble, rabble. Birds of a feather, as yep. they say, yeah. And all kinds of nice testimonials here on his website from famous people. Uh, the term miracle worker can often be overused, except in John's case. John's rare gift, gifts coupled with his equally rare techniques have healed me multiple times and left me in awe. This is uh, Maria Menusis. Uh, Menudos. Menudos, thank you. Television host, entrepreneur, and actress. Yeah, so apparently this person has, a, you know, obviously yeah. a, a Hollywood-related following. You know her exclusively from the intro to movies, like she's doing the interlude, right? Isn't that her? Yeah, yeah. Is that her? her. Well, I mean, Evan, if she's I'm on so TV, we should listen to her, right? Exactly. So here's, here's technically, here's the technical uh, analysis of it. It's called uh, network Spinal Analysis, NSA. Don't mm -hmm. know if you've ever heard of this. I'll read it from the Network Spinal Analysis website, exactly what this is. Sometimes called network chiropractic, it's, dis it's a distinct form and philosophy that evolved out of chiropractic, used for healing and promoting wellness. Mm. That's not too generic, is it? Uh, it involves a chiropractor using precise, specific, gentle touch on the spine to update and cue the nervous system and improve quality of life. Yeah, you got to cue like up that nervous system, touching, man. Uh, How is that different from craniosacral, craniosacral therapy? Don't they do the same thing where they just go 
boop, all better. Yeah, well, they're, they're, essentially. Yeah, because with cranial sacral, they, they claim that they're readjusting the bones of the skull. Of the skull, uh, yeah. But they're, they're fused. They're fused. <laughs> <laughs> they don't move. So they don't you're have sure to apply that. much force because they're not moving anything. Anyway. There's a picture that George, George has of himself where someone is squeezing his head and he's like making his face like this. And that's basically the face you make when you get that treatment. Because they're literally like going like this on your skull. Pretending that they're shifting bones around. And if they did, it'd probably kill you. Yeah, right. <laughs> that wouldn't be a good thing. Now, I explain how NSA works. Here's what they write. It focuses primarily on working with the spine using low-force gentle adjustments. Practitioners shift the nervous system from a defense physiology to growth and healing by accessing the nervous system through the spine at specific areas known as spinal gateways. Sounds like chakras to me. Exactly. What? They're just making it all I mean, up. Yeah, just making it up. So, all right. So we're here. I did here. not learn any of that in biology, by the way. Spinal gateways. Like not in any of my textbooks. Spinal so, gateways, I forgot. You know what? Let's, 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 let's make this more, more authentic. I think you should read that again. We're going to do it live, though, from the lab where they're doing this. So present this to the clients that are doing it and just, just read it again. Read yeah, it yeah, again. Yeah. Okay. So how does <laughs> NSA... <laughs> the practice focuses... <laughs> <laughs> Primarily on work <laughs> using low, f- <laughs> gentle, harder <laughs> adjustments. Uh, oh my god! That's good. That's good. That's good. That's good. Live from the clinic itself. <laughs> that is magical. <laughs> Well, so you know these places like these World Economic Forum. I feel great now. Shit. <laughs> Sorry, I feel really good. Now. This is what they're inviting in and lending all sorts of legitimacy to it through money and other yeah. and celebrity, both money and celebrity, which is you know of course a magic formula to ma- spreading it worldwide into viral videos in which all sorts of people now are going to start questioning and sure some are well, curious as to how they too can get NSA for themselves. Italian couples all around the world have figured out long ago that screaming <laughs> yes, is very Italian. therapeutic. Just Italian. Just Italian. <laughs> it makes you feel Solely good. Solely Italian. Yeah. <laughs> gateways, Steve. Yeah, right? gateways, spinal a, gateways. That's a, that's a neurological term. Yeah. yeah. Spinal gateways. I mean, the good news is that that video, that specific video you're talking about with Juliana Huff and this guy, like, all I've seen regarding that video is like sheer ridicule, which is good, yeah. at least. It, it yeah. spread all over the internet and everybody was like, WTF is happening. Well, she can't this even act. Ridiculous. She can't even pretend like, you know, like she screams and it's like, wow, that sounds so fake. It's she pathetic. Does. And like, she looks like she's convulsing. So I'm reminded too. of like exorcisms yeah. where you have somebody who's actually a lot of people can needs to be seeing a psychiatrist. To to, yeah. So Evan, I'm going to, I'm going to start marketing MSU therapy, which to combat the NSA therapy. What's like, that? Making shit up. Careful. But just don't tell anybody that's what it's called. Tra- it's not that it matters. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> you right. That's basically what it is. No, I think telling people that's what it stands for would be great because it's just look how honest he is. He's yes. so honest yeah. about it. That it's, he's, so refreshing. it's so refreshing. Yeah. It's just he's lying so he's to us and telling us that he's lying. But it's the power of the placebo now, right? Oh, so strong. placebo it's enterprises. Like yeah. Making shit up. It's like the secret, right? Yep. <laughs> yeah, it is. All right, George. Yeah. One of the roles that you recurringly play on the SGU is to act, ask us very probing and emotional questions. <laughs> Sometimes emotional, but yeah. Sometimes probing emotional, anyway. probing. Yeah. You have a reputation of making rogues cry. Right. Yeah, on multiple and occasions. And that's not even on the show. Yeah. That's, not that's even just on the show at that in the car ride here. Yeah. But yeah. So uh, tell us what you're going to do. You got some questions? Yeah, I got some really fun questions. I think what would be neat to do is some of these are going to be sort of a little bit more in depth, and I think some of these should just be 
five second, don't really even think about the answer and just blurt it out. Oh, that's okay. dangerous. You know? yep. yeah. Then some of them will be like whoever has the best answer can answer, and then some of them I think will all sort of go through and sort of chat. So like for this very first one, I think it would be nice to just, I'm going to ask it, and we're going to go straight down the line, just Evan, J, Steve, Kara, Bob, and just like don't, so well. don't explain. Yeah, Bob. Right, right, right. You don't even nice. think, don't even think, just whatever pops in your brain as the answer, and we're going to go straight down. Maybe we'll come back and do it and end run, and we'll figure out George, uh, is it the same question for all of us? Same question for all okay. of you. So, yeah, ready? Ready. So, here we go. Mm-hmm. What's the worst job you ever had? Uh, picking fruit and uh, vegetable field and, and vegetables in the fields. Working in a paper factory. Um, working in a uh, pill coating factory. <laughs> uh, I worked at Feces Pizza. AKA Feces Pizza. But that's what we all Bob? Digging ditches on my dad's truck. That was actually good exercise. Steve, did you and Jay ever did dig dig ditches in yeah. your dad's truck? Oh, yeah. And it was not their worst job. And it was and not your worst job. Nope, I loved it. So Bob has fun. had a pampered life. Why? Yeah. Why did you love it? We worked with uh, two guys who like were part of, like became role models for me. Like they were amazing. They taught me how to work. They actually taught me how to have a work ethic. And I learned a ton about the construction business and it was very physical. I loved it. How old were you? Thir- Starting at 13. 13, 13 to 16. So Bob, why'd you hate it? Cuz you know Digging ditches isn't fun. Um, no, but it was. I mean, the company was great. I'll, I'll say that. All right, maybe working at Macy's. Maybe that was worse. All right? You're happy. No changing notes, yeah. All right, all right. What did you do at CeCe's Pizza? I worked there before I was 16. So the labor laws allowed me to work until like 7 p.m. Like there are rules if you're under 16 in Texas at least. Mm-hmm. Like, okay. And um, so I didn't work in the kitchen. You can but carry I carry a gun though. Yeah, totally. That yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I worked Since the register, and then I worked. I had to call pies, so like people, because it's a buffet. It's an all-you-can-eat buffet, right. so people come in, and you have to like count heads and call pies to the kitchen, like what's so you can make sure that there's always enough food, but not too much food. Right. And then also people special order. But the worst part about working there, yeah. honestly, because I loved all the free food, is that you cannot get that smell out of your clothes. Yes, yeah. you smell and like so, a sandwich. Your yeah, whole you whole had day. like yeah. special pizza pants, That's and they lived in the pizza is. drawer. Yes, it's still there. Um, and it was terrible. It really is like, yeah. I think, not good for people's sense of self-worth when they're constantly smell yeah. like the job that they come to. The only time I had to have smell-isolated work clothes yeah. was when I was in Gross Anatomy. There you go. Because everything, like I smelled like a corpse. Months. That's for me, so when, they, when, the, when Pennsylvania changed the smoking rules, we couldn't smoke in bars anymore. Mm. It was like this sea change oh, yeah. of my lifestyle. Oh, of I could yep. uh, not only my car no longer sm- I didn't smoke, but because you have all your gear in the bar and you're yeah. playing. Uh, first off, when you're setting up gear and you're full of, full of a room of just full of smoke, before you even start singing, your voice is gone. Yeah, so yeah. like there was that. Awesome. Then all of your clothes get infused with smoke, and then all of your cases get infused with smoke. So my car for about uh, I don't know 15 years just smelled like smoke because you have it in there. You have this process of you go home, you get changed like downstairs, take everything off. Right. So it's hanging in the garage. My yeah, dad, mm-hmm. all yeah. through the 60s and 70s, did the same exact thing. And then they outlawed smoking in the bars. And it was like, I have my voice at the end of the night and yeah. my car doesn't smell like smoke. It's so great. Yeah. Oh my God. George, gosh. remember like the, a lot of, like a lot of the speakers that we used to buy, they would literally be covered in like a carpeting. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And that carpeting uh, was like a sponge yeah. for that smell. Yeah, no, no. Yeah. Every yeah. case that you have, a soft case that you put your drums in or your speaker case, yeah. whatever. Yeah. It was just, it was like this nicotine delivery system. Yeah, mm-hmm. awful. This is why I think it's really cool when you see fast food places or like um, different jobs where 
I think they're thinking about these things, and so they uh, they'll have like locker rooms. There's a handful like In and Out, I think, does this where that you have um, uniforms that are that are issued to you, yeah. and then you change at work. You leave the clothes at work, and they launder them. Oh, that's awesome. So you get you don't have to take that home with you, which yep, I think is actually really empowering. What was the worst pizza, and what was the best pizza that they had there? They have macaroni and cheese pizza. Which was kind which of was amazing. That? Which one was that? <laughs> yeah. that was the best one. I thought so. Well, I don't like tomato sauce. So what? most pizzas gross. <laughs> That's a deal breaker, my yeah, God. I don't like tomatoes. Not even marinara. No. Do you like ketchup? No. Tomato and basil. I like barbecue. That's the closest thing. Okay. I'll get Pardon. to tomato sauce. Okay. Slightly. It's very Texas of you. Yeah. It's All right. Very Texas, yeah. Out of you five. Yes. And we can have multiple people, but whoever thinks has the best answer to this, what's the best story about you getting a scar? <laughs> Who's got a good scar. one? Who's got a good a one? Good scar story. The best scar story. Scar is born. Uh-huh. This, when I was five, I mean, I when I was five years old, I was jumping on the couch. Yeah. And my mom had a glass coffee table right next to the couch. Of course. And you know, Wah. so yeah, so I got cut right here, and it got really bad. And yeah. you know, your head was, you know, blood was coming out. Yeah. So my mom <laughs> lost it. <laughs> And uh, I remember dr- them driving to me, driving me to the ER. I had like a rag on my head, and it got soaked with blood. And I'm in the back seat of the car with my mom, and she's losing her mind. And my dad, I didn't, I don't remember this part, but my dad told me that I said, Mom, it's okay. I'm going to be fine, Mom. I'm going to be fine. So I'm like telling her everything's going to be okay. Then I remember, I remember, they didn't knock me out, but I remember like having a big white piece of paper over me, and I could feel the tugging on my, you know, the doctor's voice is here. And my mom's over here. (laughs) You know, like I hear all that going on. Yeah, so there you go. When I was young, I did something similar where I was, we had a tire swing in the front yard, but it wasn't actually tire. It was like a big O-ring, like hanging from the tree. And I used to like, when I would concentrate really hard, I'd stick out my tongue. Mm. And so I ran and landed on my belly, but then I went through the swing and my chin hit the ground. Mm. So my teeth went through my tongue. Yeah. And same thing, like we went to the ER. I had a big rag in my mouth. I was spitting out a lot of blood. But really interestingly, they didn't, they were like, it's already healing. Mm And so they were like, come back tomorrow, and if it looks as good as it looks now, we don't have to do any intervention. Mm. And so I just slept that night with a rag in my mouth because <laughs> it was so uncomfortable. <laughs> and it was still, like, okay, sensitive. And yeah. then the next day Ow. we went back, and it was fine. Yeah. But it was really, like, traumatic yeah. for a lot of people. Cause, like, were you, like, going after tomatoes while you were falling on the thing? Is that? <laughs> but when you stand over the toilet and a lot of blood is yeah. Yeah, coming out of your yeah. mouth, it's a little bit scary. And I was very young. But my more recent scar story is that I got bit by a Korean jindo. What's a jindo? What's that? It's a dog that is, um, I, I don't want to paint a broad brush because he was a sweet dog, but he was aggressive. And they're very attached to their owners. And they kind of look like big Shiba Inus. They're, they're like, they look like oh, sled dogs, like brown enough. sled dogs. They look like what? Like brown sled dogs. Oh, okay. You know? Um, and Shiba Inus? Shiba Inu. Okay. Korean Jindo. And it bit my knee and I was dating... We'll put it this way. I was dating somebody who's much older than me, who's very famous, who has some issues. Fill in the blanks. And, Tom, Tom Cruise? Um, yeah, it was when I was dating Tom Cruise. <laughs> and I got bit in the knee, and I was like, oh, my God, oh, my God, this is horrible. Um, and But we were supposed to go to the Playboy Mansion for a party, and I was wearing pantyhose, and it bit a hole in my pantyhose because it was like a, a pajama party. And he was like, but we can still go to the party, right? And I was like, okay, fine. So I went to the Playboy Mansion with like a gaping puncture wound in my knee and made it through the night. Finally, I was like, it hurts like really bad. Went home, 
cleaned it, wrapped it, and didn't go to the doctor until the next day, um, yeah. where they gave me a tetanus shot. And yeah, did if all the dog bites stuff. you, you got to go to the ER right away. Yeah, and the good news is I Unless did. Unless you have a Playboy party. Party, then you know. No, but I cleaned it really well, and it made me feel good because I went to the doctor and I was like, "This is what I did," and blah blah. blah and I did, and he was like, "You did everything I would have done." I was like, "Oh, that's oh good. good. That makes me feel better." But yeah, I probably should have gone sooner. You should go sooner. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> is, there, is there a scar still from the puncture? Yeah, on my knee. And there's still a scar on my tongue, too. But you can only oh, wow. see it if I eat like a lollipop that changes your tongue colors. Oh, there's cool. one spot that doesn't oh, change Oh, it color. reveals. It's nice. Yeah. Here, nice. suck on this. I want to see your scar. If it's yellow, it won't work. I have two. My, uh, the, the one was when I was, as a camp counselor, I was showing kids how to carve soapstone. And uh, I sort of was standing over the crew and I said, now make sure that, you know, like as you hold the stone, uh, you want to be careful because you want to have your thumb sort of as the, <laughs> and I totally, I totally sliced my hand open. It was like a red marker. And I just kind of like went like that and I walked out of the room and all the kids were like, <laughs> that was good. So yeah, that's a little thing. But then the other one was a year ago, I was at the gym and I was doing oh, yeah. uh, jumps up onto a, onto a box, but they don't have the regular boxes at my gym. They have these like metal yeah. stools, basically. With spikes in the middle? So, yeah. yeah, with spikes and, yeah, and, and broken glass on top. <laughs> Just to really effectively motivate get, you. Motivate, motivate you, yeah, yeah. No, so I, so I was, it was after a workout and I was doing extra stuff afterwards and I, and I jumped up and I missed. And so on the edge, you know, I did, I did this, yeah. you know. Ow. Yikes. So I, yeah. so I landed and I knew and I, so I jumped up and I did it and, it and I landed and I'm like, I'm not looking down. Yeah. I'm like, I'm not. Looking down, and I look over, and Coach Jim, like the nicest coach, his name is Jim, he looks at me, and the audio is not going to really work, but he looks at me, and he shakes his head, and he goes, mm-mm. <laughs> to, to this uh, day, George has still not looked down. Yeah, yeah. So I don't know if you can see it. So it's still, I still got a little bit of form. Yeah. So I finally looked down. So it was about, it was about a quarter size, and you could see the bone underneath right there. You know? So oh, was that bad? It was that bad. Yeah, it was. Wow. Yeah, it was bad. The one, the one oh. side was a kid. The other side was really bad. Well, there's not much you... skin there. I mean, there's not much meat there. That's the thing. That's true. It, yeah, it the all, shins it all like, uh, it all just like accordioned up into itself. And it's so crazy when you do it to your. Yourself. Oh, yeah, yeah, like yeah. you're like, I have the power to yeah, yeah, yeah. peel yeah. off my own skin yeah, to the bone. Yeah, so it went up. So luckily there's a there was a little emergency center, like literally like two it's an industrial park. So we went to this emergency center and they were like they had to like pull the skin out because it was jammed oh, up in top. Folded you know? under. It was like folded. And, yeah, it was totally folded. Yeah. And then they sort of like they sewed it, they sewed it done. And, and of all the places to have a, a, a gash like that, it was really good because there's no there's no torsion here, so you yeah. can't really like mess yeah. with it. Yeah, your palm is horrible. That's a great place to Yeah, that was a great place. So the next morning I went back to the gym, I grabbed the box, and the first thing I jumped up onto that goddamn thing because I was like, you're not getting in my head. Yeah. <laughs> so I came in the middle of class, I was like, dude, kunk. Okay, let well, just had it. So yeah. Good. Uh, let's go down the line, starting with Bob. Oh, no. Okay. Real quick, real quick. Uh, what's something you did as a child that your parents still talk about? So many things. Give one. What pops in your one. head? Um, what pops in your head? Oh, yeah. Okay. Um, <laughs> Steve, was it you and I in the bathroom? I mean, in the, in the room, in the outlets? Or was it... Who was that? That no, was all of us. All of us. Yeah. Well, okay. I, this is the story. We can just stop there and let them fill in the blanks. <laughs> <laughs> so, so... Apparently, I got under the door. The door was shut, and I was like, fire, fire. My parents come in. We had peed in the sockets, and sparks were coming out. Wow. Whose idea was it to pee in the sockets? Who remembers? Well, it I mean, made sparks fly out. Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay. Who's that? Probably right, Steve. We'll, we'll come back to that. We'll come back to that. Kara? I'm a girl, so I never, like, I don't have any, like, 
pee and socket type stories well, no, to tell. It's hard to aim. I, mean, I know, that's not... Um, could be a good thing, could be something... Yeah, I think my mom always tells this one story, and I, I really heavily question its veracity, <laughs> but mm. she says that when I was a kid, I was delayed in speaking. Like, I wasn't ever speaking in words, and they were worried. And then one day she came into my bedroom, and she caught me practicing talking. So she said that I, I, w- I said, shut up, Goggy. Like I said, a whole sentence was my first word, which I feel like is impossible. But that is what she tells everybody. Mm-hmm. So I was you yelling. The, the dogs were barking a lot. And I was like, oh, no, Doggy. Okay, yeah, gotcha. shut up, Goggy. Like the, gotcha, goggy. Dogs. They were barking nice, a lot. Nice. All right, Steve? No. Yeah, so the, like, apparently when I was like three, they, they, <laughs> it was like two in the morning. I wasn't in my bed. They found me in the front yard eating dirt. <laughs> <laughs> How was it? Apparently, I wanted to know what it tasted like. Oh, okay. was the, so I did a first-person first experiment. I'm going to let Bob tell mine. Ooh, which one? Did you? The one that you which were involved one? in, where I almost killed you. So, so like last week. The, the gas tank? <laughs> no, not, no, when you were standing in the window. Oh, the, oh, the he goes, the gas tank. No, not the gas, not the gas tank. The other time. That other time. So I'm upstairs, I'm, upstairs, I'm upstairs in my room. Looking down, second floor. So I got there's a window here. I'm looking down. There's another. My bed was there. Another window. So I see Jay in the backyard. Little shit, like this big, and he's got a bow and arrow. So that's scary. Wait, what's your age difference, by the way? Five years. Five yeah. years. Okay. So, um, so I see Jay do this. So Jay's back was to me. So I see Jay's back, and he does this, bow and arrow, and then uh, and let's go. <laughs> Let's the arrow go. It goes through the window over here, through that window, and I'm standing at the other window, like 10 feet away. Like, holy shit, if, he, if it hit the other window, he could have killed me. It would have yeah. probably at least impaled me. And hurt. apparently, you were trying to get it over the roof, but yeah. you got it through the window. So Jay almost killed me that day. How well do you remember that episode? Really well. I, I, really yeah. well. Really? Because I, would, I used to go out, like you guys would be coming home a lot of times on the school bus and stuff, and I was out playing in the yard, and I, I would be out. Remember when I used to put on the Bruce Lee jumpsuit? Wait, how old were you? Jay, how old were you? Wait, you put on my Bruce Lee jumpsuit? Oh, yeah. <laughs> the, yellow, the yellow one? Yeah, the yellow yeah. one, black stripe, all Your the time. parents let you play with a legit bow and arrow? Oh, this yeah. You weren't old oh, enough gosh, to go to yeah. school? Kara, this was the 70s. Wow. Ar- archery was a backyard sport, Kara. Yeah, yeah I'm sure everyone had a bow and arrow. It's a backyard sport for four-year-olds? Well, I was a little bit older than four. I was like probably like eight when this happened. Yeah. Oh, I see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Right. But that's, and I'm that's sure fine. he did Gosh. not ask permission. <laughs> no. Did you? So, Bob, did you say, did you like run to mom and say like this just I have no memory happened? of what happened after, just almost getting killed. That's so when Jay, my memory ends. No. You didn't get in trouble. No, I didn't, it was no, you didn't get in trouble for shit like that. That was just like, hey, stop that. Right. <laughs> you know, it was the 70s. <laughs> Don't do that again. Evan. Uh, eight years old. My parents, my whole family, my two sisters, my mother, my father, they're in the room, I don't know, watching TV or something. I come running from one end of the house through that room into the next room, slam the door behind me, and I go into the bathroom, like ran into the bathroom. So they all come to follow me. I have the door locked in there. They're like knocking on the door. Evan, what's wrong? Evan, what's wrong? I didn't say anything for five, for like, it, to them it must have seemed like 10 minutes. I don't know how long it was, a couple minutes maybe. And they have no idea what the hell is going on. And they, from what I'm told, all I could mutter was the word B, buh, 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 buh. And they're trying to figure out what's going on. Eventually, I could get it out. Bat, bat, bat. There's a bat in the house. <laughs> and they just like all cracked up, like laughing at me outside the bathroom. I felt so awful. I so felt like humiliated, but Poor I was so frightened. There was a real bat in and the house. And there was a bat in the house. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's kind of scary. Part of the room. That's cute. So they, 
Now, these, when is the family and capture the bad? These stories still come up, so like you'll be talking like yes. be at Thanksgiving or something. Yeah, yeah. Just, yeah. They eventually so that's, come up. What about yeah. you, George? That's the bad story. Uh, my mom always tells this thing that I I was a very light sleeper, but I, I didn't cry, I didn't make noise. But whenever she wanted to check to see if I was asleep, I would just be at the crib, kind of like standing, standing in the crib on the thing, just like watching the door. Just creepy. Like, wow. Yeah, yeah, totally Ooh. creepy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And just like be curious. And, and she could barely, apparently from what she barely opened the door and I would just hear it and just get up and be like, what? What? So yeah, that's, she tells that all the time. You'd always be standing. You'd always be standing there. You were so quiet. You were so good. You never made a noise. Yeah. Wow. Open to anyone. Best yeah. answer. Yeah. If you could have any fictional character as a friend. Who would you have? Uh, I mean, Spock comes to mind. Spock that would comes to mind. Fun. What would you go? What would you do with Spock? Like, <laughs> what would you? What would you suggest? Kind of like, what would you suggest? Like, like if he shows, if he's like, he wants to hang out with you. What would you go do with Spock? I go to a museum. Go to a museum. Okay. Yeah. Would you Talk LARP with Sco- with Spock? Ooh. LARP Hell with yeah. him? If yeah. he would, I'd LARP with yeah. him. If he would, yeah. <laughs> I'd, I'd pick Q from Star Trek: Next Generation. Q. I mean, if you're gonna pick a friend, pick a powerful friend. Yeah. Really powerful, like godlike. It's also a little scary, but imagine if he's your buddy, man. Hey, you know, <laughs> give me a car, give me a mansion. He's a, a fickle mansion. friend, though. Yeah, but he could also decide the prem- Well, he didn't say fickle; he said friend. Yeah, but Q is fickle. Like, would Q I know. be a good it's a friend risk. to you? It's a yeah. risk. Yeah. I bet you there's somebody better that I could. That I could and pick. also, think about what Jesus. you like. Jesus. Hang out with your Jesus. friends. You have fun with your My friends. Friend. Right, yeah. right. Like someone that you could, you know, that you want to chat with and hang out with yeah. or whatever. Yeah. I think Jeff Jeff uh, Spicoli. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that would be a lot of fun. Who's Jeff Spicoli? Yeah, from uh, Fast Times yeah. Sean Penn's first, first major film. I mean, I wouldn't want to be hanging out with him all the time. Yeah. But, yeah, that'd be fun. I think for me it's Oprah. She's not fictional. <laughs> is she, is she Cara? Yeah. Is she Cara? No. Uh, it's, I mean, Picard comes to mind. It's just yeah. I want to have dinner with Picard. I mean, I actually, it's actually Patrick Stewart, so it, there's no real difference yeah, yeah. between that, the that two. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? But yeah. Uh, That's an impossible question to answer because there's so many fictional characters I'm in love with. I'm trying to think which ones would be fun and enter Because you're not yeah. like, you know, if you, if you like Arnold Schwarzenegger as the Terminator, like what are you going to talk to him about? Right. You know? <laughs> I'd like to meet him for about 10 seconds right. and then I'd be right. done with him. Depends. Or he'd be done with you. talk yeah. to him about drapes in the last movie. Yeah. <laughs> Drapes. Oh, here's a good one. This sort of goes along with the, the previous question, and maybe it's maybe it's a it follows up. But who was the worst boss you ever had? It has to be in the past. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't say that. Well answered. Well answered. That's mean. How, I'll start this one. I actually had a boss that sued me. Oh, that's bad. All right. That that's was the bad. worst. That what was the worst do? bus. I, I was working at uh, I was working at a college, and I wrote a song uh, that she claimed was about her. And was it? Was it called "Bitch on Wheels"? She <laughs> claimed it was about her. What do you claim? Was it? <laughs> she claimed it was about her. <laughs> And uh, I said it was open to interpretation. <laughs> uh, she, that's not a denial. <laughs> she sued. She sued me for fifty thousand dollars for well, wait, invasion, for defamation, what invasion did you of privacy. Say about potentially her in this song. There actually, there's in the song. There's actually no real lyrics. Yeah, it's what? it's 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 the silly, one could interpret. <laughs> One possible interpretation is that the syllables that were sung out of order could, in some way, 
be placed in an order that could be someone's name. Uh, <laughs> Clever. I mean, like someone could, you know, not that that was the intention. But what was the context was it, around it? But wait, was it a total disorder or just a mild disorder? It, it was a, it was a, it started initially as, as a disorder. But once this, it's a thirty-second song. It's a thirty-two-second song. Let's hear it. Oh fuck it. Okay, I took the I took this I took the syllables of her name. And... <laughs> Statute of limitations have expired. You're good. You're so fine. So it starts. I paid. So yeah. So it starts and and like the first the first first syllable of her name kind of just starts repeating. So if her if her name was let's say like Sarah, which it wasn't, it just went sa sa. And then there was another chorus starts going ra sa ra sa ra, and then like the rest of her name, just for thirty seconds, it kind of plays out, and then at the end, everybody that was singing says sucks. <laughs> That's it, and she That's sued it. you for that. That's it. You can't sue for that. I know. <laughs> you, you can sue for anything. You Whether you get an award or a dismissal, is it's not a factual claim. Yeah. That's clear hyperbole. Right. Yeah. You would think, yeah. right? I had a judge. It was Judge Simpson. I was like, well, that's a good sign. Simpsons, cool. All right. I would say that the fact Did they that play she... the song? Sorry. Yeah. They, the... they did play the song in court, which actually was worth everything. <laughs> yes. Because they had to get it in the record. So we're sitting there in the Lehigh Valley count of, count, uh, 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 court of records or whatever it is. And my, my lawyers there, this amazing uh, organization called the Philadelphia Lawyers for the Arts represented me for free because wow. I like they had to, you had to show that you had no money and they represented artists and musicians and stuff like that so they were representing me and uh, she had hired this attorney and was spending who knows how much and we're sitting there and it's like to enter into the record can we play this thing so they're playing the thing and I'm just like the 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 sheer python level of <laughs> of awesomeness that was happening at the time I'm like you know what it's almost worth all the pain in the ass yeah. now because now it's in the public record which means yeah. you can actually talk about it and you can't it's in the public record. Yeah. The case was about, the whole trial was a, less than an hour, about 45 minutes. She had witnesses. I had, I had a witness or two. And uh, the thing ended. The judge was like, I don't think there's going to be a judgment, but we're going to go for some, so, uh, a summary judgment. We're like, oh, it's a good sign. It's a good sign. Okay, cool. Judgment comes back. $50,000 in her favor. <gasps> yeah. But. Which we thought he did that because he didn't want, the judge didn't want to make a decision. He figured we would appeal, and then it wouldn't be his his football, his it wouldn't be his problem. Oh, what? Then, messed up. Yeah. Well, then my attorneys missed an appeal deadline. <gasps> what? Yeah. yeah. So they said, to their credit, they were like, you should sue, to me, they say, George, you should sue us because we totally effed up. And I'm like, I'm not going to sue anybody. I'm not going to sue you guys. So then... Uh, should be 50 grand. Well, the 50 grand, I was like, I don't have 50 grand, hello. So we ended up settling for a much smaller number that was still thousands of dollars, which I did wow. not really have to my name when I was 27 years old. Yeah, and I, I looked into, I wanted to find a couple thousand dollars worth of nickels because she, she insisted on cash because she didn't want me to be able to see her bank account number because she thought that if I gave her a check, I would be able to somehow trace and figure steal out and steal her money yeah. somehow. Ooh. So I was like, you want cash? Fine. I inquired to like three banks, like how long would it take for me to get a couple thousand dollars worth of nickels or pennies, was that possible? And I couldn't get the schedule wise in the deadline. So I ended up giving her, I had, I had 50s. I gave her 50s and I wrote on each 50 some words. Um, <laughs> 
mostly just Shakespeare insults. I would just write, I found all these great Shakespeare insults that are throughout all his work, and I would just write, you know, Tempest, Act Two, blah, blah, blah. And then the next one, I just wrote all these, like, Shakespeare insults about wenches and about, you know, whatever, uh, which oh. wasn't that great. So that was my worst boss. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So That's your lawyers were totally incompetent, I have to say this. Because first of they, all... They, they messed up, yeah. Yeah, so they messed up, yeah. objectively. Yeah. First of all, that's, you, cannot, that you cannot sue for libel for opinion. You can't. And $50,000 is the threshold to trigger a change of venue to the federal courts where you were not going to get a shitty state judge who's going to vote, right. who's going to rule a certain way yeah, just to get it off his docket. So there were multiple ways out yeah. of that for yeah. you Ooh, if you had yeah. lawyers who knew what yeah. they were doing. I actually, I, on my podcast, I, because I got the transcript of the, whole, of the whole trial, I did an audio version of the trial. So you can go to my podcast. Oh, cool. It's like episode oh like, like 100 yeah. or somewhere down there, and it's called The Trial. And I did every voice. And it's about 48 minutes, and you see this. Wow. Did you, you perform the song? <laughs> well, yeah, I play the song at the point where it happened. I got to hear it now. Perform the thing. But that so. reminds me of when, wow. when I was sued, you know, by, by yes. the quack. The, he entered into evidence during the hearing a clip from the SGU. Right. Yeah. Right. And this was to show, I think what he, I forget what he was trying to establish something, you know, about, about, you know, that we talked about him on the show or whatever. Um, but in the clip, we were trash talking him yeah. for like five minutes. <laughs> and, the whole, and that's, this is being played in the courtroom. <laughs> and, and, and it literally Fun. was all the things that my lawyer and I wanted to get into the record, Amazing. but we couldn't. And now this jerk is playing it yeah. for us yes. Thank in you. the middle of the court. My yes. lawyer was just smiling at me the whole time. <laughs> they were pl- I was on the stand when this was happening. So and he's like, is that you? Yep, that's me. Yeah. You know? <laughs> it was like, <laughs> what are you Talking doing? about him. You're, yeah, yeah. That's you were, you, they were making our case for Beautiful. us. It was great. fantastic. Yeah. It, was, it was one of those same moments. I have a bad one. Bad boss. Yeah. yeah, I saw a guy I used to work for pistol whip someone in the office. <gasps> pistol whip. Yep. With an actual pistol. With an actual pistol. What? Yeah. All right, give what? Uh, what happened? Was That's a, a crime. I, I was a real estate agent in New York City, <clears throat> and this guy was trying to collect money from the boss that used to work there. Oh, and um, there was a really small office uh, that was like where the fax machine was and all that stuff back then. And uh, I heard a little like, what? You know, hey, uh, you know, and I yeah. and I come out. And the guy standing there, the, the guy that I used to work with, and then he's arguing. So then my boss just marches out of the room. And, I, and I'm like, holy shit, man, what's going on? And he's like, I, look, I, he owes me eight grand or something, and he's paying me, and that's it. Yeah. So then I turn and talk to a couple of other people, and like, you know, about five minutes goes by. And then you just hear this noise, and I turn around, and he's hammering him on the head with the gun. Your boss. Yeah. Wow. And, uh, it was so violent and so completely effed up that me and the two people I was standing, we were like frozen in yeah, fear. Yeah. I, because it was a gun, and I'm, you know, and yeah. I'm like, mm. is it? Low? You know, I'm like, all this stuff is going on. It was very dramatic, and then it, then it was over, and then he did. The boss disappears again to hide the gun, right? So he f- find out later he buried the gun in there. So you know, in New York City, there. I got to be honest, it turned me on a little. Yeah. <laughs> But he ends up burying it. I did get information later on. Was there any indication he was capable of that before you, before you saw him do that? No. No, the guy was kind of unhinged a little bit, but not in a violent way. Yeah. He was a weirdo. He was very yeah. weird. Yeah. You know, and there was just a lot of things that happened, like, as I'm, you know, going back and thinking through, like, my experience there. I'm like, yeah, 
like I should have picked up on things. Right. I was very young, you know. I'm like sure. I'm like 20 when this happened. Yeah. And this was real estate. Yeah. Anybody beat a, a boss with a gun? What? Can anybody, does anybody have a worse bad. boss than that? But I had a bad boss who is not violent, but honestly probably should have gone to jail. But I was young and new in the industry. I worked on a live daily show. I might have mentioned it on the show before. I worked on a live daily show for about a year and a half. And I had this boss who was also pretty young. I think he was like 38. And I must have been 30, 28, 29, 30. And I was the co-host of a show with my very good friend Jacob Soberoff, who is now doing awesome on MSNBC. And we had a boss who is incidentally dead now, which is kind of weird. Um, so that was like a complicated situation, who was the most, like he was like the king of sexual harassment and like gaslighting in the grossest possible way. So like if I walked out on set in a dress, like, in my ear, he would be like, oh, you look really good today. Ugh. But then if I wore, one day I wore, like, a, a, a tie, and he, like, petitioned to the network to not let me dress like that anymore because I look too masculine. And in our meetings, he would tell me that none of the staff liked me. Like, he would pull me to the side and be like, you know, when you talk, people cringe. And so, like, probably don't speak up as much in meetings. And probably, and I, like, believed him for a long, wow. like, he gaslighted me for, like, nine months where I was like, I don't, okay. And I became very timid and I became very like afraid to speak my mind. And ultimately a situation where I was a co-host with my, with my co-host became like, he was the host and I was the sidekick, even though that's not what our contracts were. And that's not how we were um, meant to run the show. And ultimately I worked with a therapist and kind of like regained a little bit of confidence. But what ended up happening that's really messed up is that everybody got fired from the show and they retooled it, but they let me go first. And he was in the room and he looked like so smug and sanctimonious. Mm -hmm. And it was a really tough situation because I just decided that day, because they were like, we'd love it if you'd finish the season. I could have just walked out out of anger and been like, I'm not going to. But I was like, of course I'm going to finish the season. I want to keep making money. But I'm doing it on my terms. And so then I started to like not let him bully me around for the last few months of the season. Two weeks later, he got fired too, mm -hmm. which was a little bit like, I don't know. I don't like wish ill on people. But it was a really, really hard situation. It took a lot for me to learn how to advocate for myself in that situation. And really what came was that my crew, like all of the producers that I worked with, I would start saying, I know that you guys think sometimes when I say, and they're like, what are you talking about? And they like helped me see that it was just this guy wow. gaslighting wow. me and like it wasn't actually like that. They're like, we're like huge, like we're friends. We're like, here, we like go out for coffee and stuff. Like we don't not like you. Like we yeah. like it when you talk to us like that. So um, yeah, it was a really tough thing. But the good news is at the time, that's when I went on Joe Rogan a lot. Um, I had been on his show like twice and he had told me that I should start a podcast because it's like my yeah. own thing. And like, I, you know, I'm my own producer and blah, blah, blah. So Talk Nerdy was actually born out of a very dark time wow. when I was feeling very like not in control of my career and like not really knowing what would happen. Mm -hmm. So a good thing came out of it, but it was like a brutal. Yeah. And it makes me think about how probably so many How women. easy it is oh, to sign on women. Especially yeah. like I consider myself to be like one of the things I'm proud of if you were to say, Kara, what do you have going for you? Like what can you actually say is like I'm a smart person. Like I know that about myself. You know what I mean? Like there are a lot of things that women I think we – compare ourselves to other people mm -hmm. in society. We're really socialized to think, but I'm like, whatever, I'm smart. And the fact that like I could have been dismantled systematically by my boss mm -hmm. because he yeah. was in a position of power and he would just the little things every day. I mean, it got to a point where 
I wasn't allowed to lead the panel. We had a section where it was like a panel discussion. I wasn't allowed to lead panel because nobody liked me and I wasn't good at it, according to him. And there was a panel on women in STEM. And I had to be the sidekick to my male co-host leading the panel on women in STEM. And it was just like, and even he was like, what the fuck is happening? That's so amazing, Kara, because I never, you are so strong to mm-hmm. me. Like, you have, you are like a force of nature. But that's the thing about, about gaslighting a woman to make her think that she's a bitch. Because then she is like, oh, but when I'm being strong, people don't like me. So I need to be like right. more demure. soft and yeah. demure. No, I, lo- I love it. And eventually. I mean, really. Like it's, yeah, it's you, but you, that's how you gaslight a strong woman. You know what yeah, I mean? Is you tell oh her God. that nobody likes her when she acts like that. And hey, then listen, she's not going to be effective. If you don't want to have any ill will towards someone, uh-huh. let me know. I'll have the ill will for you. <laughs> uh, yeah. Jay will pistol whip him. He'll yeah. pistol whip him. Yeah. Yeah. He knows how. Yeah. It was, a, it was intense. It was a Let's bad one time. more. One more quick one. Right. Okay. right down the line. Evan, right. we're going to straight down. Evan. Would you rather have one, a $10 million lottery or live twice as long? Live twice as long, Jay. Live twice as long. Twice as long, no question. <laughs> Am I twice as old? What happened to yeah. the quick? No, you're healthy. You're healthy. I don't know. You can't. Oh, you mean, oh, do you What's age? Quality oh, do of I life? age? Like, am I 100 and then I live to 200? Yeah. I, I would say you're not going to be commensurately like 200 years old. But, but you'll then be that old. makes it easier. Of course I want to live twice as long. But if I'm aging that much, I might you, You'll be aging, money. but I, I, I would say, yeah, I think. I don't want to be 200. Proportionally. proportionally like, yeah. I don't want to be old like a 200-year-old. I think you'll be, yeah, you're right. You'll be yeah, like Yoda, okay. yeah. yeah. No, you'll be, like a, you'll be like an 80-year-old for the last 100 years, let's say. Well, that's different. I would be down for that. But if I was like 160, I don't want to be 160. <laughs> then I would take the million. Don't even ask Bob. Don't even bother yeah, asking Bob. Yeah, totally, totally. Bob wants to live forever. Time, time yeah, is, forever. is a few thousand years. Time is more valuable than that. Time is the most precious commodity that. that I don't know though. I'm sitting is. here thinking everybody else in my life is dead. I'm going to take the money. I, I don't know. Yeah, I, I'm going to take the money. Okay. What I about? I do a lot of good with that. What money. about? What about? A hundred million. Would that change? Would that, well, then I'll definitely extra take the money. A hundred million versus living twice as long. Is, is there is there a point? Is there a no? Is there, I don't think there's a point. No? There is a point. No. <laughs> no, there isn't. Even I will say there's a point. Well, maybe because I know what you're. I know what Bob. Jay knows exactly. what Because Bob's right. going. Okay, if you're going to give me a few trillion dollars, then you oh can, yeah, then you can write. You, you can science. Design. Yeah. Do what you need. Yeah. But I mean, well, that's not true. Bob's living in a fantasy land. Yeah, exactly. What? <clears throat> there's no yeah. amount of money right now that could that you could with they technology that you could yeah. yeah that you could have a high probability of doing twice as long. But I you know I look at it like this like I I started my family maybe yeah maybe were younger I. I want to see my kids get married. I want to see, who, you know, I want to see what their lives are like, and that's worth. I want to see movies in a hundred years. Yeah, whatever. I want to. See, I want to yeah. see my kids' lives. I want to. I, I want to be like the way my parents got to see everything with their kids, and I want. I'm I want giving that. this Star Wars series one more chance, <laughs> <laughs> and then that's it. Episode ninety-four. Episode seventy-five. It's not going to be movies, Steve. The last whatever. One. You know what I'm talking about. Yeah, it's going to be virtual reality, yeah. total immersion. It's but, All right. All yeah. Right. It's time for science or fiction. So we're here in Philadelphia, right? George, you, your band is the Philadelphia Funk Authority. That's this true. Is, this yeah. is, you know, you live in Bethlehem, but this is pretty much your hometown. This is the home, homish. Yeah. But home-ish. if you say you're from Philly, he'll like. Defend. He'll say I'm from Bethlehem. Ish. I mean, I'm a Jersey guy at heart, so yeah. Oh, so I'm, 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 yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a. Yeah. Kind of it's, it's within. It's within, within your my domain. zone. My, my yes, yes. Yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. your backyard. 
What about the rest of you? You guys spend much time in Philadelphia before? Yeah, when I lived in New York for a year when I was working on my, the first time I tried to do a PhD, so it was 08, 09, mm-hmm. 08 to 09, and I lived in Queens, and my friend was in med school here at Drexel, mm-hmm. and I came here every weekend for a year. Wow. Yeah, I loved, like, because like, we were like, at first we traded off weekends, and then we're like, let's just do Philly every weekend. Yeah, I love Philly. I think yeah, it's a yeah. great city, and I love where we are, like, in Center City right now. It's so fun. Right, right. Did, so, yeah. you, so you know that you can't, when you order a cheesesteak, you don't say, I want a Philly cheesesteak? Yeah, you don't have to say Philly. Yeah. It's kind of redundant. <laughs> yeah. I had a guy in a, I ordered. I want to hear cheesesteak? Well, I did it. I, you know, <laughs> I, I came down here for, I was like, it was like a high school trip. And I'm like, walk in, like, well, there's two places you got to go. And I walk into one of them and I'm like, I'll, I want a Philly cheesesteak. And the guy's like, uh uh-uh. uh. <laughs> like that, you know? <laughs> You're not from around here. Yeah, he, yeah. Oh, boy. Then he told me, he gave me the explanation of why that is not correct. You know, I, then I hear from people, oh, you're lucky you didn't kick you out. Really? You know, I'm not wow. here. <laughs> well, you don't, you don't go into a pizza shop. In Manhattan, I'd like a New York pizza, please. I guess you could. You could, and it would be kept. But too. yeah, but it would. Like, you're, but you're branding yourself as a tourist. Right? Yeah, yeah, which is and with yeah. the with the camera around your neck yeah, doesn't yeah. help. Yeah. Um, right. yeah. Here we go. And here we go. Right. Science or fiction? Are we ready? Yes. Yep. What do you think the theme is? Pittsburgh, Harrisburg, Lancaster, cheesesteak, Trenton, New Jersey. Oh. It's about, it's about Philadelphia. Okay. Okay. So here we are. Three items. Yep. Two of these are real. One of these are fake. Are you ready? Mm-hmm. All right. Item number one. The Walnut Street Theater is the oldest theater in, the con- in continuous operation in the English-speaking world. What? Number two. There is no evidence Betsy Ross stitched the first American flag, a myth concocted 100 years after the alleged fact. And item number three. The first general computer, ENIAC, was built in Philadelphia. It weighed 27 tons, and when fully turned on, the lights in the city would dim. All right, we're going to pull the audience only after I get the rogues' votes. Why is that? Because they, they live here. Oh, yeah, God. so we're going to start at, right. at, with Bob. Start what was the first people's one again? Faces. Sorry, Walnut Street Theater, never heard of it. Oldest theater uh, Betsy Ross, yeah, I mean, sure, there's so many things that we have just, we're so wrong about. That sounds like something we could be wrong about. And the act, that kind of sounds right. That's ringing some bells here. So I'm going to go with the Walnut Street Theaters fiction. Okay. Kara? I'm not even going to look at you guys. I hate it when he does this. Because it's like you, the most obvious wrong one is often right. And, you know, he picks the most crazy thing to be a truth and then a more subtle thing to be a fiction. ENIAC built in Philly, 27 tons, fully turned on, the lights would dim. I could see that. I mean, the first general computer is probably really old, like over 100 years old now. So I didn't put the date in there, but it was 1947. I'll throw that out there. Okay. That wouldn't have made a difference with your answer. Either. Yeah. Really? When did NASA become NASA? Oh, that was the 60s. Yeah, and they were just getting the big IBM ones. Yeah, I could. I buy it. It might be fiction, but I buy it. I also buy the Betsy Ross thing. Like, maybe she didn't stitch it. Maybe she, like, I don't know. Maybe it wasn't the first one. She just fixed one, added some stars. Maybe that's all she did is add some stars. I don't know. Walnut Street Theater is the oldest theater in the continuous operation in the English-speaking world. The thing, the reason that's so hard to believe is our, our country's not that old. And so when you right. think of, like, well, how long has, like, England 
been in existence, like or like you think of like theaters that were por- performing Shakespeare and then they're going to keep performing, but That's it does say continuous operation. <laughs> and like continuous. England was bombed during That's World right. War II and they had to rebuild and there might have been shutdowns of all these places. So maybe I'm starting to think that the Crap. fiction is not the Walnut Street Theater, but it's maybe it's Betsy Ross, and she actually did do that, and that's why we all learned it in school. So I'm going to go with Betsy Ross as the fiction. Okay. It's like the unfiction fiction. Yeah. I haven't, <laughs> I haven't heard Betsy Ross's name in a long time. And I'm trying to remember, like, I have some vague memory of, like, she took the remnants of some old flag and then made the new one, and I, I don't know. Then I've got, like, a Schoolhouse Rock coming into my... I'm just a uh, the Walnut Street Theater is the oldest theater in continuous operation in the That just seems wrong, but that's so such a good one. If so it's it, obviously right. Yeah, I mean, because you just got to think, like, what's going on with the, you know, European countries that speak English and, you know, no theater survived that long? I don't know. That's that's a tough one. Uh, so I'm just going to take ENIAC off the table and say that's science. I mean, the Bessie Ross one sounds like an urban legend, doesn't it? Um, I'm going to say that one... Wait, there is no evidence that Bestie Ross stitched the first American flag. I think that's science. The Walnut Street Theater is a fiction. Okay, Evan. Um, Walnut Street Theater, I think the key word here is continuous operation. That would seem to indicate that that one's going to be science. The next one about Betsy Ross. I seem to recall reading something about this, uh, not uh, the Betsy Ross, Ross myth. Uh, and this seems to be in line with that. That leaves the computer. Wait, ENIAC. Was that really the first computer? It might have been, weighed 27 tons. When fully turned on, the lights in the city would dim. I kind of find that part of this hard to believe. I mean, the lights in the, the whole lights in the city in, we're talking 1947, you know, not, not like 1899. Yeah, but or the something. city lights just turned on in 1899 in most places. I understand that, but, but still, I mean, I mean, think about, I mean, 1947, that, that, that would be a huge, huge draw. And how, if it was drawing that much, I mean, wouldn't other there be other problems? Like, wouldn't the machine shut down or something before it even, you know, was able to to, to pull that that amount of power? Something's wrong there. The computer one, I think, is the fiction. One of my favorite Stan Freeberg sketches is when uh, George Washington goes to Betsy Ross to get the flag, and George Washington shows up and he's like, <laughs> "You're having a little fun at our country's expense? Stars with stripes? How's that supposed to work design-wise?" <laughs> And they go on this great song, and he hates it, he hates it. And she's like, he wants polka dots. I deliberately said polka dots. Do you notice that in every rendering of Betsy Ross, like cartoon kind of, or like on stage play, she's always like wearing a star-shaped bonnet, or like a star uh, yes, flag-printed right. yes. bonnet? Yeah, really? Right. Yeah, all the time. Embellished. All best stories are embellished. Everybody wants to be an art director. Everybody <laughs> wants to call the shots. Anyway, uh, I think the Wall Street thing is true. I think the Betsy Ross thing is true, or it's uh, no evidence science. is true. I'm going to say that the ENIAC thing is correct, but it wasn't Philly. I, for some reason, mm. in my mind, it's like Baltimore or something. Mm. It's like it's not Philadelphia. So I'm right. saying the computer is uh-huh. the Okay. Well, at least we know we didn't sweep so, Steve. Didn't yeah. sweep me. That's right. correct. So let's see what the audience thinks, the, mm. the locals. How many people are you here from Philadelphia? That's most that's of them. That's, that's uh, really uh, uh, half. Yeah. Fred, you're not from Philly? Uh-huh. <laughs> Anyone from South Philly? North, is that North okay. Philly. So yeah, see, right there. See, different. Let's see what you guys think. So if you think that the one about the Walnut Street Theater is the fiction, we're going to do the guys know the single clap method. You clap when I get here. We'll do one practice. Ready? Okay. Nice. When you yeah. think 
If you think the Walnut Street Theater is the fiction, clap. If you think that Betsy Ross being a myth is the fiction, clap. And if you think that the ENIAC is the fiction, clap. Ah, shit. Wow. <laughs> Well, well. Well. <laughs> right. That's oh. very interesting. <laughs> very interesting. All right. So let's take them in order. The Walnut Street Theater is the oldest theater in continuous operation in the English-speaking world. Bob and Kara, you guys both think this one is. No, I think that's your Oh, you're a bunch Bob, yeah. you're the only one. No, right? me and Jay. Him Jay? And Jay? I, I said ENIAC. Gaslight me. Bob and Jay <laughs> said this one is the fiction, and this one is science. Mm. Yes. Wow. This one is science. Really? Yeah. I mean, it's still surprising. 1809. Wow. 1809. Continuous operation. Awesome. So that's and that's that's the, the critical that's word. Because all the other ones, they shut down and they you know they opened up. They were yeah yeah them. yeah. Wow. So absolutely right. Um, absolutely. 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 <laughs> so let's go to number two. So when you look up Walnut Street Theater, like the first ten hits are all about tickets. Like it's active. You know, it's like they're yeah. selling tickets. Okay. Anyway, number two, there is no evidence Betsy Ross stitched the first American flag, a myth concocted a hundred years after the alleged fact. Um, Kara, I think you're alone in thinking on stage that this one is fiction. Everyone else thinks this one is science, and this one is science. Sorry, <laughs> no so, evidence at all. None. Wow. It's, in fact, there is evidence that this myth was completely concocted out of whole cloth. Oh, no. <laughs> by her family, like 100 years so later. What did she do? Nothing. nothing. She had Why nothing do we to do know with her name? Flag. Because it was a, it's a completely fabricated. It's the same time when they were doing like the George Washington cherry tree myth. Yeah. There was no, all this know, like historical stuff. No, but George Washington stuff. was the president, so like oh, she thought, existed. Yeah, but why do we care about her? Because her fa- it was it was propaganda. That's so yeah. weird, though, because we learned it in school. I know it's yeah. complete nonsense. Wow. And there's like no there's no provenance before a hundred years after she lived. You know, it was just right. she's like she's like one of the. Disciple. Holds a place in the pantheon. Yeah. Undeserved. Yeah. Undeserved. Yeah. <laughs> she's still there? So she did it's some Philadelphia. Shit. It's Philadelphia. She's, she's Philadelphia history, just not, just not that part. Okay. Huh. Number three, the first general computer, ENIAC, was built in Philadelphia. It weighed 27 tons, and when fully turned on, the lights in the city would dim. That is fiction. There's a lot of pieces in there. So, yeah. what part is the fiction? The city. I thought it was the lights. Oh, the, the lights. The lights. Okay. Yeah. So the, it was built in Philadelphia, but yeah. it was moved to Baltimore. Oh. Like after yeah. a year of operation. Good Look at that. After a year of operation, okay. it was built. It was designed to. Um, so it's, for, it's okay. So first, general computer. Meaning, prior to that, computers were built for one thing. Right. You had to. Yeah. Put, you had to to program it to do one type of operation, and it wasn't reprogrammable. This was reprogrammable, not easily by today's hundreds standards. of calculations per hour. It would take <laughs> it would take <laughs> weeks, <laughs> take weeks to reprogram it. Still. But you could, you could, yeah. Once you designed a, once you said I wanted to now do this problem, you could do that. But you can't because they're pulling out cards and stuff like that. Um, the original purpose for which it was designed was to calculate ballistic trajectories yeah, right. for World yeah, War II. Wow. Yeah. But it wasn't completed until after World War II was over. <laughs> so the scientists were like, great, we'll use it for Keep this. bombing. We'll, we'll use it for what we want to use it for. What, yeah. good, what good is this thing? Just put it in the warehouse. And we'll so the world, the world will only need uh, three computers. Hello. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Think about it. Pre, pre, uh, yeah, calculating like, trajectories. Mm-hmm. What else is that good for? Orbits. Na- for NASA, yeah. for yeah. orbits. Yeah. Yeah. And 
And so this could do like 20,000 hours of human calculation in a minute. You know, so that was over a person. This was a huge advance. But yeah. NASA didn't even exist yet in the no. 40s. Yeah, but this was for the space program and for you know, the, the you know, whatever, the, the precursors of that, et cetera. So it wasn't 27 tons, was and it? And it? it was used up until 1956 or something. So we used it up until yeah. you know, yeah. they were, we were doing that. Yeah, yeah. not in 47. But. Um, okay. So some other facts about this that are interesting. The, yeah, the, the whole, it weighed 27 tons. It did? That, yeah, yeah, that was oh, correct. Wow. And it then was they massive. moved the whole they moved thing the to Baltimore? the whole thing. Some amazing stats. Um, 20,000 vacuum tubes, yeah. 7,200 crystal diodes, 1,500 oh, relays, 70,000 resistors, 10,000 capacitors. Who designed it? And approximately 5 million hand-soldered hand joints. Yep. Five million hand soldered, massive, massive. And thing. this thing is probably a hundred million times <laughs> yeah. better. But Steve, yeah. isn't it, <laughs> Steve, isn't it true that they ended up shutting ENIAC down because it, they it because it up. became conscious and it, yeah. <laughs> right. I no, feel I mean, pain. Just, I feel pain. Just, be, just became Dude. obsolete. So Betsy Ross is a myth. <laughs> Betsy Ross is a myth. Shut it down. Shut it down. Do I'm not blood. believe you, man. Do not believe. <laughs> so electronic numerical. Integrator and, and computer. Yeah. Right. Um, it was built at the time as a as a machine brain, right? Yep. An artificial brain. Uh, and at the time it was, which you know, a lot of science fiction from the time, which I read a lot of science fiction from the time, like even Isaac Asimov, Asimov who was a visionary, sure. but they said and he called him Univac and Multivac. Well, Univac yeah. was a next actual. Univac, computer. Univac was yeah. an actual. Computer. Um, That's what I was thinking. That uh, they when they thought about like what are things going to be like in a hundred years and two hundred years, they envisioned computers that were the size of cities. Right. Yeah. You know, they so just they thought ex- it would get bigger. Like, they thought the computers yeah. would get bigger yeah. and bigger yeah. and bigger I'm and more powerful. Any sci-fi author that really. You know, predicted. Re- predicted that they would get smaller. Well, I mean, but guys, so think about it. Miniaturization is, in and of itself, a incredible... Yeah. Right. But they invention. wasn't anticipated yeah. yeah. in this context. But um, there, there were rumors, which became mythology, that when you turn the machine on fully, that the, the area would dim, like the university where it was housed. Right. And then that spread to, like, the city would dim, mm-hmm. but it was never true. And it was actually investigated and found that, nope, it was complete mythology. Right. That was the part that was wow. total myth. So I mean, funny. That seemed like the most true to me. Yeah, that's yeah. why. Because it was believable because yeah. it was a myth. I have Good job, and, it, yeah, it, yeah. and also that, like, it would never actually be at full capacity. So you no, wouldn't even, have to worry even if it were, if you fired the whole thing. I mean, it was, you know, it was 160 kilowatts. You know, it was a lot. A lot of juice, but not enough to brown out a city. Does right. anybody in the room know, did ENIAC make noise when they turned it? I would love to know. I'm what, sure it hummed. Of course. Yeah. Billy Joel sang about it when he said, ENIAC, uh, ENIAC, ENIAC, ENIAC. George, I totally love you, man. <laughs> you know, such a humor. I'm like, every time you tell a joke, I'm like... <laughs> no, but, you know, I would love to use that for who's that noisy. I, would, I wish yeah. that there was a recording of it. Yeah. Oh, there might be. You know, it's interesting, though, that power consumption is a huge concern for the next generation of supercomputers. Yeah. So they, that is, they will literally use the power of an entire city yeah. you know, to run. I mean, that's a major concern. Oh, absolutely. I mean, as, as energy-efficient... And powerful by comparison, computers are the amount of computer pow- computing power in the world. They're trillions of times faster. Yeah, it, but it's literally it's, it's like the, yeah, the the power output of countries, you know, rel- relative to the whole world, is powering our computers. And in fact, there's a lot of concern about 
Bitcoin, right? Oh, like yeah. if we, Mining. if we had yeah, just just running a cryptocurrency, like if the world ran on cryptocurrency, we, you know, it would be a massive increase in power output just to, to run the computer. It's only the mining. Just to run the. It's just the mining of the Bitcoin. That yeah, makes so much not power. The, not it's not the, the utilization of yeah. it. It's it's mining. That's, new that's a lot of yeah, electrical yeah. power. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Wow. The they're like they whole, use farms set up. For it. <laughs> yeah. It's funny. There's not dips in availability of GPUs. Yeah. Because they they are designed to do that kind of processing better than a CPU. It's crazy. So they, they, the, the calculation that you got to do to to figure out the, the algorithm for a Bitcoin. Yeah. yeah. All right, Evan, do you have a quote for us? Yeah, I do. I actually have two. One's what? a one's a fake quote and one's an actual okay. quote. <laughs> Here's the fake quote. Ready? Oh, you're gonna tell us about- Here lies W. C. Fields. I would rather be living in Philadelphia. Anyone heard this? Yeah. You know, yeah. it's supposedly what's written on his epitaph on his gravestone. It's very famous. You know, I'd rather be in Philadelphia. Yeah, I thought it was like, all things considered, I'd rather, I'd rather be in Philadelphia. Yeah, that's a version of it. Yeah, but it has a lot of fake. Not, not real. Nope. Nope. Fictional. What did he derived. say? Get away from me, kid. You're bothering me. Get away from me, kid. You're bothering me. So obviously, famous Philadelphia. So I was looking for Philadelphia-related quotes, and that one, you know, pops up all all over the place. So you know, W. C. Fields was, um, yes native son of Philadelphia, but often used Philadelphia as a, as a joke, as a gag, as, as the foil in yep. his humor and stuff. So I was looking for some things that were, you know, a little bit more positive. And then I came across some, like, you know, f- real fluffy, blah, non-science-related stuff. So I went a whole different direction. with a yo Adrian. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. Case I get beat up, up tonight. tonight. <laughs> so, so I... <laughs> He's just not funny anymore, I guess, you know? All right, but here's, here's the actual quote, and this one's dedicated to Bob. Nanotechnology will let us build computers that are incredibly powerful. We'll have more power in the volume of a sugar cube than exists in the entire world today. I think I know who said that. Who? Eric Drexler. No. That's your Ross. That's your Ross. That's your Ross. W.C. Field. No. Ralph Merkel. Oh, Merkel. Oh, yeah. he's awesome, yeah. There you go, yeah. Bob. Right? Ralph, Is he from Ralph Merkel. No, not from Philadelphia, but he is a computer scientist, one of the inventors of public key cryptography, the inventor of cryptographic hashing, and more recently, a researcher and speaker of cryonics. And often yeah. eater of Philly cheesesteak. Or cheesesteak. He'll never learn. <laughs> all right, well, thank you guys for joining me for this. You're uh, welcome, brother. Thanks, Steve. And thank all of you for joining thank us. You. Hopefully we'll have an opportunity uh, to return to Philadelphia. It's not that far from most of us, and uh, it's a great city. And until next week, this is your Skeptic's Guide to the Universe. Skeptic's Guide to the Universe is produced by SGU Productions, dedicated to promoting science and critical thinking. For more information, visit us at theskepticsguide.org. Send your questions to info at theskepticsguide.org. And if you would like to support the show and all the work that we do, go to patreon.com slash skepticsguide and consider becoming a patron and becoming part of the SGU community. Our listeners and supporters are what make SGU possible.